0: Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Up on the show today, we are continuing our team previews 90 to 81. So we are moving up and up and up in the game. But we had a little bit of news here, Nick. Uh, We had uh, some media days for college football recently, which uh, had all kinds of good stuff in there. Now we know that Jimbo and uh, Nick Saban have no ill will, even though they uh, talked so much crap about each other uh, in the off season. Apparently uh, all that stuff is going to get swept under the bridge or uh, under the carpet or wherever you sweep things. Uh, we'll see. But we also had some other news and notes here, uh, including Texas A&M running back Anaya Smith arrested on a DWI and weapons charge in Texas. Uh, He has been suspended from the team, but we don't know how much time he's going to miss. We had Virginia Tech edge rusher uh, Fidarius Payne, uh, a transfer from Nebraska, expect to compete for a starting spot. Um, He was expected to do that, but he is going to miss the season with a ruptured Achilles. And since we previewed USF last week, Returning starting safety, Vince Smoke Davis stepped away from football due to injury, so the DB uh, should still be a position of strength for uh, the Bulls, but Davis' experience will be missed. So just a little bit of news and notes here, and maybe Will Levis drinking some uh, you know, coffee with mayo in it too, some weirdness from the media day. So uh, your thoughts on any of the news and notes here before we jump into team previews, Nick well the i mean i guess all of these are relatively impactful for
1: uh each of those teams and there's there's a few things as we record it's you know friday afternoon um that some some rumors flying that maybe Aeneas smith's going to have uh some of these charges dropped or or something like that we will see we don't know that at the moment but um assuming you know if this uh, works out as we sort of origi- originally thought. You know, DWI and weapons charges. You would you would think he'll probably miss a, a bit of time, um, maybe a couple of games, something like that. Hard hard to predict. Sometimes um, you know some of these suspensions end up being or, or feeling uh, too short or too long. So I'm not exactly sure uh, which way this will go. But um, you know, Smith's a, a really talented player, a guy who uh, is a starting wide receiver, has been a starting wide receiver the last couple of years, but also has played uh, running back, makes an impact on special teams. Um, Even though, you know, Texas A&M doesn't uh, throw the ball all over the place. He he does have the ability to make an impact uh, as a receiver and in a variety of ways. So I think they will miss him uh, if he's unable to play a couple of games or, or even longer. At Virginia Tech, Payne, you know, we don't necessarily know uh, what to didn't necessarily, you know, know what to expect from him. It was kind of a late uh, commitment to Virginia Tech. He is in his last year of eligibility, so I'm not sure if this would be a situation where he might be able to get a waiver for an additional year. But um, you know, Virginia Tech definitely needed. Uh, an upgrade, you know, coming off the edge. And he was going to be able to provide that, you know, relatively uh, productive player, five production points in his career, only played about, you know, 350, 60 snaps combined over the last two years, but uh, was able to produce when he was on the field. So as Virginia Tech is, you know, working under a first year head coach and Brent Pry, um it's a it's a loss. I mean, it's it's an area where they didn't necessarily play particularly well last year on the defensive line, ranked 90th in D line performance. So, um, adding a player like Payne at the very least, you know, give would have given them a, another option, maybe inject a little bit um, for them coming off the edge. So, I think they will miss him as well. And you never like to see a player. Um, be forced to walk away from football and Davis at, at USF um, I think from an overall impact standpoint on the field, I mean, USF was pretty deep at uh, the, the, in the secondary, the defensive back um, position and, and they still rank top 40 nationally in our uh, position rankings in the secondary, uh, and they still actually rank, you know, the, the uh, number one in the AAC in terms of overall returning production. So in some ways you think, okay, this is something that they, um, it, you know, on paper won't be hurt too much uh, from, but a guy who had been there a long time um, and certainly, like you said, they'll, they'll miss his experience, I think, miss some, some depth for a team that, Uh, as we discussed last week, we expected to, you know, take a bit of a step forward. And when you lose, um, a veteran player, I would expect, you know, somebody with, uh, maybe a leadership role in that locker room. Um, it's, it's certainly going to hurt some. So none of these uh, probably are, you know, death blows to any of these in particular, uh, you know, these specific programs or, uh, teams their seasons this year, but I think all of them
0: uh, will be felt at least in some small way. Xavier, so, your, your thoughts on uh, this bit of news, and anything you want to comment on uh, from media day? So, do I have a chance to comment on Will Levis's uh, weird addiction to mayo sure. inside of coffee? If yeah, let's know. hear it.
2: <laughs> I, mean, I, I guess this is what the scouts really
0: disgust nick by the way i i think nick doesn't think I, I think does a funny bit.
2: I, I, I think yeah. nick is hating this conversation right
0: now. i can see his uh, face turning a little bit green as
2: we're yeah talking absolutely about yeah yeah, yeah. So. uh i might he might throw his hat if we continue to talk about it but uh no i mean i i think uh the anaya smith arrest is obviously going to hurt them as far as the receiving core just in my opinion just from a standpoint of reps uh he was a dynamic receiver and you know It was somebody that they would have expected and leaned on, especially in the receiving core coming into this year, which is with as much quarterback turnover as they've had. uh, He probably was a guy they were expecting to take that next step and be a huge part of the offense in some respects this year. Um, But I think it was funny uh, that once again, Nick Saban and Jimbo were asked about their altercation earlier this year um, and that they were and that uh, Will Anderson spoke about it as well and said everything that w- what needed to be said uh, for A&M will be spoken on the field this year. Just, you know, just ramping up the hype that was already created. That's good. Um, you know, um, Kirby Smart essentially saying that he believes that there should be some type of salary cap and that guys shouldn't be making over $10,000 from the NIL – I was like, "All right, Kirby, you're my guy," but that was a very dated what, take. Uh, yeah,
0: uh, yeah. What was his contract extension uh, yesterday? one
2: hundred and ten years, or one hundred twenty million dollars, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Shut so, your mouth. Give me yeah, a break. I thought, I thought that was hilarious, especially after getting an extension of that magnitude. Yeah. And, you know, you you want to penny pinch the kids, but you just signed what would I think make him a top five paid coach in college football as of right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was hilarious. Uh, is he
0: considered a government employee? I can't remember. Yes, uh, yes, yes. yes yeah, they are.
2: You uh, when you work for a public university, you are, because uh, mm-hmm. your school is obviously, uh, through some way, shape, or form, paid for. In the state of Georgia, it's through the, it's through the lottery. But yeah. Um. So yeah, he would be considered an employee of the state in that way, and so he probably is the highest paid public employee, um, uh, in the state of Georgia at this point. So yeah, man, I I think coming into media day, obviously, you're going to get a ton of, sound bites. Um, going, oh my God, Um, coming into, coming in the media day, <laughs> uh, Nick just shared a absolutely ridiculous, uh, wow, uh, I, I don't know if that was on the magnitude of Ole Miss, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and just say it now, Tennessee just received uh, notice of allegations detailing 18 NCAA violations and $60,000 of cash gifts given to football recruits, players by Jeremy Pruitt, his wife, numerous coaches, staffs, and boosters. Um, I don't hmm. know if this is. Wonder on. why
0: Jeremy Pruitt's gone?
2: Right, look at that. I don't know if this is on the level of a Hugh Freeze. I can't remember all of the impermissible benefits that they gave away, uh, but this does feel very. LSU... Sounds a lot like
1: Arizona State. Yeah,
2: yeah, it does. Yeah, it, does. Uh, it also still feel, it feels very reminiscent of when LSU got caught uh, siphoning money from their local children's hospital oh. to give money to the football team. So uh, this. Doesn't so look good for Tennessee, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, belabor on it because I do that enough on Tennessee on this
0: podcast as it is. But it doesn't <laughs> look good for the Volunteers. Yeah, Dang, we, I want to we all before media day because yeah, this would be perfect. Yeah, yeah, this uh, that is that is some big breaking news, Nick. Your quick thoughts about it before we move on to team previews uh with this just literally coming down as we're recording here, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: I'm I'm not sure exactly how to react. I mean, Pruitt is already gone. Um, there uh, was some thought when Tennessee moved on from him that they were, you know, going down this road, and uh, there was some speculation that was kind of like uh, when Kansas tried to get rid of David Beatty and you know bring in uh, the NCAA sort of uh, infractions as, as reasoning. Um, there was some thought. Oh, is is Tennessee like, you know, just trying to get out of paying uh, a buyout? But this seems pretty significant, and especially if uh, they were, you know, breaking rules during um, what was supposed to be a dead period for recruiting, and you know, the, the cash and gifts. Um, I don't know how that all factors in now that NIL is a thing, and and I guess you you, you still don't have money going directly from coaches to players, but, um, it doesn't seem good. So we'll see, we'll see if there's any sort of fallout. Uh, it definitely seems like, you know, the, the head person in charge at the time while this is going on, they've already taken the step of, uh, get rid of, you know, get rid of him, clean out the coaching staff. So, um, maybe they won't get, you know, hammered, uh, too, too badly as far as, um, any sort of scholarship reductions or, you know, whatever penalties there will be. Um, And I'm not sure if that's, I just, just saw the link and it's a 51 page report. So (laughs)
0: we're doing this in
1: in, uh, real time. I don't know if there's anything in there about uh, potential, uh, I guess this is notice of allegations. So Nick
0: just had clear. the rest of his yeah. uh, afternoon filled up, by the way, or the 51 page report. <laughs> nah, here, some, so
1: I'll, I'll let someone else break it down. Yeah. Do that. And I'll, I'll try to read a summary later. Maybe, the cliff notes but, version. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Well, uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see that it's um, I think your comparison to ASU is smart. Yeah. You know, this is like, this is what you do when you say, Hey, look, Arizona state, this is how you get that done. Right. You just go ahead. You clean house first. You ask questions later if there's a major um, uh, things going on at your university. But uh, they they decided to slow roll and Herm is still there. We'll see if Herm uh, lasts the whole year. But let's get uh, rolling on these team previews here. We start out, you know, look, we're into double digits now. We go to 90, which is Army. Army captains nine and four season with a 24, 22 victory over Missouri in the armed forces bowl. But despite securing its fifth winning record in six years, the black Knights lost 17, 13 to Navy They have the highest win total of anyone in this group at eight, we have got them projected to be seven and five. So this is an under, which has been rare since we've been uh, talking about teams kind of on the bottom here recently, but Nick, Army plays a manageable schedule and returns several major contributors from the, its 2021 squad, including top NFL prospect Andre Carter II, who's been tagged as a potential first rounder. Are we too low on Army here? Or, you know, is it just a look, it's another military academy? You know, they're limited in what they can do in terms of recruiting. And yes, they sneak up on people and have. Good years uh, every once in a while, good seasons every once in a while, but you, that's just not something we expect on a year in, year out basis, correct? Well, so
1: I, I think the question, you know, are we too low on Army? I, I think the short answer is yes. Um, we have discussed this several times. Army is the third and final uh, military academy team that we uh, will preview, and, and certainly we have the highest projection for. Uh, Army in particular, but one thing kind of struck me, and, and I think did a a decent job, maybe of of making it click in my mind, and, and maybe I'll be able to uh, communicate it well enough. But you know, we talk about um, these teams being you know pretty low as far as just raw talent. Uh, Army, of course, I mean Andre Carter, if in fact he does become a first round pick. I mean, he's, he's obviously a very, very talented player. Uh, and Army has had, you know, has other talented players uh, on the roster, but just in, in, you know, raw numbers, they don't stack up at least the way we calculate it um, using recruiting rankings coming out of high school uh, as sort of that first ingredient and then layering on experience and production after that. Um, but they just don't stack up particularly well to, 128 other teams uh, in terms of raw talent they rank 118th in roster strength 111th on the offensive side of the ball 129th on the defensive side of the ball and that's with a you know future NFL uh, player most likely um, yet consistently they far overperform those numbers when we look at team performance uh, our team performance ratings last year I mean ranked 48th overall 30th on offense, 66th on defense. If we look ahead to our 2022 projections in team performance, uh, they're right around 50 in all three categories. 52nd overall, 50th on offense and 45th on defense and, you know, if we're uh, if, if there's any team that we should look at and say, okay, the way, you know, we should rate, you know, power rate this team, Uh, maybe army is, is one of a handful that, you know what, let's, let's throw out the roster strength piece of it, which is difficult for me to say, because, you know, that's the biggest piece of the pie. That's sort of what separates us from some of the other, uh, models, projections you know, whatever you want to call us. Um, that, that's sort of what separates us is, is we do actually drill down to the individual player ratings. Build those up with position and unit ratings, and then to team uh, roster strength ratings, and you know gives us a, a slightly different way of looking at it um, from a talent standpoint. But a team like Army, it just doesn't doesn't translate. So, you know, they're ninetieth in our power rankings. Um, we are low. I've been, uh, you know, we, we're on the under. I, I mean, um, and I've been saying for you know, the last several weeks, man, I wish we were on more unders. This is one where maybe, you know, maybe I don't because uh, Army does play, you know, the word you said was manageable and they they actually in strength of schedule rank 131st. So, so the, the very easiest uh, schedule in the country, they play one um, power five opponent. That's Wake Forest on October 8th. Uh, They do have, some you know tricky non-conference. Uh, well, they're all not, they're an independent. They do have some tricky, <laughs> uh, strong, at least the last few years, uh, group of five opponents. Their first two uh, games this year, they go to Coastal Carolina and then home uh, against UTSA, both of which have been you know UTSA conference champ last year. Coastal Carolina uh, certainly been in that mix the last couple of years, and then after an FCS uh, opponent. And a bye week, they play Georgia State, who were you know pretty high on a team we haven't talked about yet. Uh, obviously, they are capable of losing to Navy. They are capable of losing to Air Force. They uh, beat Air Force in overtime last year. So there is a path to Army losing, you know, five games and and coming under seven and five is not uh, a, a crazy result, but it would be disappointing for sure. Um, for Army, and it's probably you know pretty unlikely because they play two FCS opponents. They play uh, UConn and UMass, um, and, and so there's just there's a, a handful of guaranteed wins, and so basically Army would be in a position where they'd have to lose every losable game, and that just you know, hasn't been the way Army has operated at least uh, five out of the last six years, as you mentioned. When they've they've been a winning program, so there is some turnover. They've got you know, uh, they've got to uh, have a new you know full time starting quarterback, even though they've played multiple quarterbacks the last few years. Um, they do have some turnover uh, in the back seven of the defense, which you know could could cause a few problems uh, if, if some of these teams are able to, uh, you know, throw against Army, although some of those tougher opponents are, you know, more run-based, Coastal Carolina, UTSA the last few years, Wake Forest, I mean, you know, uh, well, I should say Wake Forest has uh, been one of the better passing offenses, so I, I misspoke there, but um, it, it's just this is a team that, right now has put itself in a position um, to where we expect, you know, eight or nine wins. And I think that that is a very reasonable expectation uh, in 2022, uh, the way they can run the ball, you know, their offensive line, solid experience brings back three guys from a unit that ranked in the top 25 in our online performance ratings. Uh, I actually think Tyrell Robinson, the slotback, is incredibly gifted um might have an nfl future himself if he were a little bit bigger 511 175 is what we've got him listed at he briefly entered the transfer portal um shortly after the season and i was kind of excited about it would, would have liked to have seen what maybe a power five program could have done with him if he were to, able to you know get a few more carries because he's just uh somebody that that is sort of the pitch man more often than not gets involved in the passing game, but he and Jacoby Buchanan, you know, solid one, two punch at, at uh, slot back and fullback. Um, they've, they've got some talented players and, you know, have a winning tradition uh, at least over the last half decade or more. So um, I do think we're probably a bit too low and probably, you know, the, the best chance for army to go under uh, is for them to, you know, lose some games that they probably should win. And and that's not something we should bank on.
0: Xavier, your thoughts uh, about Army for this season? Like we said, Military Academy is some of the the toughest to pinpoint on a year-to-year basis, particularly in recruiting. Schedule looks winnable, though. Um, So what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, they get the their first three games to me, in my opinion, are gonna be a, a high indicator of what this team is gonna look like this year. Uh, they go to Coastal Carolina at the beginning of the year, first game of the season. But for me, against Coastal Carolina, not understanding what they may have outside offensively, Grayson McCall's entire health, will he be a hundred percent? Will he be more ninety, ninety-five percent? Uh, will have a huge key in that game to whether or not he can run or not. At the end of the day, if they can go three and oh in the first three games. That proves a lot to me. If you're able to go to Coastal Carolina and win that game, uh, if you're able to beat UTSA at home. And then obviously I expect them to beat Villanova, but it's the first two games I'm really looking at. uh, Because after that, I think it's a very manageable schedule. You're really looking at, you know, and you can look at their schedule in bunches because they have not one, not two, but three bye weeks. Uh, So you can kind of always look at their schedule in bunches and how many they have to win in each bunch. I think they have to go 3-0 and for me to really buy in to what they're doing in the first three games. Then you get Georgia State, Wake Forest, Colgate, and ULM two and two at the very least. Three and one uh, is a possibility there. And then Air Force, Troy, UConn, and UMass once again two and two, three and one. So I think this is a team that obviously you know it's hard to always you know guess what Army is going to do because you really never know. They could have a really good year or a really bad year like we saw a couple of years ago. But I- I'm leaning on the side of just going with the. Under just because eight games for me feels like a lot. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to be coastal Carolina, even though I think that, that that's a game I would give them if Grayson McCall isn't 100. Uh, but when you look at their schedule, I just I feel like there's too many games there where they're playing high powered offenses that they're gonna have to be almost perfect against for them to win that game. Uh, you know, coastal. UTSA, Georgia State, Wake Forest, um, even Air Force has had a pretty good offense over the last couple of years. I expect Troy to be a little bit better of a program this year than they have been in the past years. So I, I think that that these offenses are going to give them a lot of headaches, and that's the biggest issue with Troy with uh, Army is if they cannot, you know, if they cannot stay away from the turnovers, if they cannot stop a team, then their offense doesn't do a good enough job of scoring fast. Uh, now, also on the flip side of that, Army when they do score and when they're rolling. Make the, make the other team's offenses almost have to be perfect with the drives that they put together. So I'm going to go with the under that still means they can win seven games. That still means that they, they, they can make a bowl game. I just feel like saying that army is going to be a nine win team and going with the overs is a little bit too rich for me uh, for army. This is not a team I necessarily focus on recruiting at all. When it comes to surface academies, I just don't really focus on it because one of two things. One, they bring in like the biggest classes of all time where there's like 56 kids and they're like maybe one two star out of all of them. And then secondly, most of these kids won't be playing for another two years unless they get like a high impact freshman like off the bus. He's just ready to go. Uh, So most of these kids won't be playing for another two years. So when it comes to recruiting an army, I don't really focus on it. Uh, So.
0: All right, let's go over to uh, number eighty-nine here, San Jose State. After winning the Mountain West Conference in twenty twenty, the Spartans failed to win any of their last three games, which included lopsided losses to Utah State and Fresno State to finish five and seven and failed to reach a bowl last year. DK has their win total at six and a half. We have them at seven and five. So over that six and a half just slightly, but uh, Nick last year, San Jose state failed to meet expectations in 2021, largely due to an that ranked 121st in our offensive team performances. Now they did get an influx of transfers, including uh, former Hawaii QB, Chevron Cordero. Will the Spartans feel the more dangerous offense in 2022? And will that help them uh, return to bowl contention here? I'm, A little bit torn. I think,
1: again, the short answer is yes, they will improve. Partly, I mean, it's hard to be much worse than 121st in the country. I think that, you know, last year, Nick Starkle came back for um, his super, super senior year and suffered an injury, missed, you know, significant time. I think that hurt quite a bit. Um, San Jose State has also. You know, struggled to have a, a consistent running game. They've they've had some talented players back there. Tyler and Evans being the uh, the starter last season, and he split time in the past with Kyrie Robinson. But um, they just haven't been consistent. haven't Haven't really been able to to move the ball uh, very well on the ground. Even though they actually, you know, team performance wise, uh, rated a little bit better running the football in ninety six than they did uh, passing, uh, which was one hundred sixteenth. But um that seemed to me like sort of the biggest uh major issue, uh, at least as far as getting the running backs involved. They did have Nick Nash uh, when he was able to come in and in certain packages and then got some starting time. Um he's a, a pretty, you know, dynamic runner. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, will they be able to maybe, you know, I haven't seen anything, I know the last couple of years. It's always been speculated. Will Nick Nash uh, move positions. I believe he has played some receiver in the past. So it'd be kind of interesting to see, you know, he didn't necessarily get a chance to win this starting quarterback job because they went, brought Cordero in. It sounds like he's pretty much cemented as the, uh, the starter. They took him to Mountain West media days, you know, for example, that's usually a pretty good sign. Um, but Cordero's also, you know, got the ability to, uh, hurt teams on the ground as well. So it's not like Nash specifically would be that much of a change of pace. Um, so, you know, if it were me, I would, I would uh, try to get um, find ways to get both players on the field at, at the same time. So uh, something to watch perhaps there. Uh, but, you know, not only did they bring in Cordero, but they also brought in a couple of transfers from Nevada. They benefited from that mass exodus, uh, that that happened after Jay Norvell left as we've discussed the last couple of weeks. They added Elisha Cooks, who's been, you know hurt most of the last two years. He's only he's played fewer than 200 snaps combined over the last two seasons, but prior to that um, was quite productive at uh, at Nevada. So Big Target has the ability you know, to step in and, and be a number one receiver. Justin Lockhart has played much more. Uh, over the last, you know, several years. Um, The last two, I guess, at least specifically. But, um, you know, maybe doesn't have quite that number one upside, but the two, I think, can be a pretty solid one-two combo. And then, you know, they do bring back two returning starters in Jermaine Braddock and Isaiah Hamilton. Uh, They do lose Derek Deese, the tight end, who was their, uh, you know, top receiving threat. And he's someone who uh, will be... Uh, signed with the the Detroit Lions after the draft, but I think I'm most concerned with the offensive line. They do bring back a couple of starters, including Jamie Navarro, who you know might be uh, in the mix. He and Tyler Stevens are, are both you know 30 game uh, have played 30 games combined uh, over 50 you know career starts. I think both of them have maybe all Mountain West. Ish potential, but they lose left tackle Jack Snyder. That's a pretty big loss. Um, overall, they lose over a hundred career starts on that offensive line. They were an extremely experienced unit, um, and then Snyder was, you know, a, a pro prospect who signed with the Rams after the NFL draft. So, I, I think that one, you know, the offensive line is is losing sixty percent of its starters, uh, which isn't always. You know, something that that a team cannot overcome, uh, but they also ranked one hundred and nineteenth in a line performance last year. So uh, it was among the most experienced offensive lines in the country, and it didn't perform you know particularly well. They have brought in three you know transfers who could push for playing time on the offensive line, uh, two from Pac twelve schools, one from Wyoming, but none of those players are particularly, Experience. In fact, they've combined to make one uh, appear in one game and make one snap, uh, play one snap and, and, you know, FBS college football. So um, it's a it's a little bit of a question mark defensively. I think this could be one of the better uh, defenses in the Mountain West. I think mean, they actually rank second in the Mountain West in uh, roster strength. They're you know top 50 in the country on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the front seven really good. The Fuhoko and Kate Hall both have um, all Mountain West, you know, performances in their background. They're both 100 rated players based on how productive they've been. Uh, Kyle Harmon has also been an all-conference performer, over a 90 in his individual player rating. Ali Mattel, uh similarly rated, uh, you know, mid-80s at least, but similarly um, experienced And Trey Jenkins has been an all mountain West performer as well. So uh, he's the the starting safety. They are thin in the secondary, at least on paper. They did add a couple of transfers, uh, both of which could compete for starting time. Chase Williams from USC and Elisha Gaudry from UCLA. But that unit is is probably the weakest link. But still, I think this could be um, a really, really good defense. And... You know, a couple of of, uh, tricky opponents in the non conference Auburn in week two, Western Michigan, though they do get a bye week uh, ahead of that on September 24th. uh, They'll host Western Michigan. Um, But after that, you know, probably one and one start against Portland State and Auburn uh, in the first two weeks. Every game, the rest of the schedule is winnable. So I do think, especially if they get a little bit better offensive line play a little more health, you know, uh, at the quarterback position, um, I do think San Jose State is is got an opportunity to really bounce back. So, uh, again, I, I, I've said in, you know, past weeks, oh, man, we're on too many overs. This is one I actually feel pretty confident um, that, you know, San Jose State is uh, not only a bowl team but a, a team that could – you know, finishing the top half of its division and and maybe uh, make some noise in the Mountain West West uh, race. I mean, it's it's the tougher side. San Diego State and um, you know Fresno State, of course, are going to be difficult to beat. But this does look like a seven eight win team, I think. And so, not a I, I would have liked to see a you know that win total uh, a little bit lower, maybe six. Um, but uh, I, I do think that this team is is definitely capable of winning seven
2: games or
0: more. Your thoughts on San Jose State for this season. Do you think they're going to be able to step up, particularly on offense?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough, but I, I, the one thing I, I do want to hit on before I get into that and just talking about their schedule, this they've got to have the earliest bye week in college football. And like they, they their first bye week is two games into the season, and that's their only bye week of the entire year. That, in my opinion, is just hellacious. That is going to be awful. You know, when you're a player, you, you want a bye week after like five or six weeks, maybe even seven. Right. But to play 10 straight games sounds awful to do. And I just can only imagine what happens if this team, for whatever reason, sputters out the gate or it can't get their bearings under them. And not having a bye week to be able to set, stop, stop, reflect, you know, take a take, uh, you know, a week off, and be able to just kind of reassess things. Um, I wonder how it affects coaches when you have something like this. Uh, Nick, maybe you can speak on what that might look like from a coaching situation where you know you've got. 10 straight weeks of having to prepare for back to back to back. Um, and then some and just what they what that might end up looking like for them if they aren't, you know, rolling on all cylinders. Now, if everything's going great, then you don't want there to be a stoppage of play. You want the you to to keep rolling. But if at any point they stumble, which with their schedule being as tricky as it is, that might be something that ends up happening. What that may look like from from you know an internal standpoint when they're like, okay, cool, we kind of just got to pick it up on the fly.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a grind and, and injuries are something you're always concerned with. You like a bye week uh, Mm -hmm. mid season, late season, because it gives guys, you know, a chance to one, have a week of practice where you ease up a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe a day off an extra day off early in the week, and then get some younger guys, more reps, let, let some of the older guys, guys who are uh, your starters, main contributors, um, might even, you know, sit out an extra day or something, just, just try to get a little healthier, get a, a little rested. So playing, that's a, that's a really great point. Uh, playing what nine, 10 games straight yep. at the end of the year is, is definitely less than ideal. Um, so that's, that is, you know, makes me sort of, uh, think back and kind of reevaluate my confidence level I guess because that is that is something that you know we should think about
2: yeah no and I think that with a team that's going to have to figure it out especially offensively and this is something that as a player I, I felt oftentimes whenever you know we played multiple games in a row and the offense just wasn't clicking correctly that you kind of just need a couple of days to just get back to what you know Runs, you know, do, do do some routes on air, do some seven-on-seven. Seven, you know, if it's been poor, if, if you've been really that bad, score some fictional touchdowns, which do a lot for your psyche, actually. When the plays work on on air, um, they actually do something for you when you're not being able to see it in game. Just to, to tweak a few things when you're able to kind of sit down for a week, watch tape, even if it's a team that you're about to play or the team that you just played, be able to sit down watch tape and things of that nature. Um, from a quarterback situation, obviously, they're going to have to get some type of production from Cordero if he's the one that ends up starting. I'm a little skeptical about that I, for obvious reasons. He was up and down at Hawaii, but I, I think Nick hit it around the head. This offense is going to have to figure it out quickly, and they're going to have to figure out, you know, and, and be somebody that hits the ground running. I, you know, if this team, to be perfectly honest with you, if this team was in better suits offensively, that Auburn game, I, I would, I would be a little bit more excited to see what they will look like against, against Auburn. Uh, I just think that's a little bit too early in the year. They're also having to go to Jordan hair. Um, I wonder, I want, I want to know what they're going to play like in that kind of humidity playing at Auburn. It's always a weird thing. when you have to go from West coast to the South and, and vice versa. We've seen AM struggle going to UCLA in years where they were ranked. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty much the same going the other way uh, other direction. So this team, I'm going to say they're going to go under, that doesn't mean that they're going to make. They're not going to make a bowl game. They can still go six and six uh, and do that. I'm I'm just not confident with the way I'm looking at their schedule and the things you know the ifs that are on this offense, whether or not they're going to be able to rattle off seven wins this year. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to go with the under, which once again does not mean that they won't make a bowl.
0: All right, interesting. Let's move on here to number 88, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech started three and three last season with close losses to MAC champion NIU and Clemson, but they lost six in a row, including a combined one hundred to zero versus Notre Dame in Georgia, to finish three and nine. DK's got their win total at three and a half. We've got them at four and eight, so we're on the over slightly, but. The Yellow Jackets play a brutal schedule, Nick, including non-conference matchups with Ole Miss, UCF and annual rival Georgia. Can Georgia Tech win enough games for Jeff Collins to keep his job? I know you've been a Collins fan, obviously losing Gibbs, a massive blow uh, to that offense. But what do we think about uh, Georgia Tech? Can they win enough to keep him afloat here?
1: I'm not sure. I mean, even if they were to, you know, hit the over and go four and eight, uh, which is what we project, but still I think would be a disappointment to uh, a large number of fans there and, and you know, Georgia Tech fans. Um, you said it was a, a, a Collins fan. I, I do remember uh, early on and seeing some positive recruiting momentum. I definitely uh, – I I don't know if bought in was the right word, but in in some ways I kind of feel like, you know, I I was, I I, I don't know, you know, I, I feel like I was had a little bit. Like, I think, I think it's, it's pretty clear now that, yeah, he was able to recruit some really, really talented players. Jameer Gibbs, top of that list. One of my absolute favorites in college football really excited to see what he does in Alabama Um, was sad that he, you know, had to miss some time at at Georgia tech uh, the last couple of years, because if he had been fully healthy and they had been able to, to build that offense around him completely, you know, perhaps the uh, last year specifically might have, uh, you know, gone a little bit differently, maybe in that second half of the season. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I have read, have heard that probably the biggest thing in Collins's uh, favor is some of the, actually the um, economics behind it. That that Georgia Tech just doesn't really have uh, the money to fire him. Didn't have it last year, and might not have it this year. Not sure. You know, you never know if that's uh, exactly true, or or if some booster might come along and say, "Hey, yeah, let's get rid of this guy." Uh, I'll, I'll you know, fork over a, a chunk of it. Um, I don't know. The, Georgia Tech, in, in my experience, has not really been one of those places. So uh, if they show some improvement, if they win five games, you know, pick up a, a couple of upsets here or there are you know, pretty competitive week in and week out, there are probably, you know, uh, some paths, one or two, for, for Collins to keep his job. I do think that, you know, you mentioned the schedule, Very, very difficult, especially in the non-conference. Those are, you know, the Ole Miss game you would expect is probably uh, a loss. Um, The game against UCF is, you know, not necessarily if you're drawing up a a schedule uh, to try to get back to ball eligibility. You don't really want to pick one of the most talented, maybe the most talented group of five program uh in the country. That's that's not, you know, especially you don't want to go on the road to play that team. Um that's just not necessarily the the best uh setup there. And it hurts as well that they open against Clemson um on a neutral field. So it is in Atlanta, but it's you know at Mercedes-Benz. It's not uh on campus, which probably negates any you know sort of home field advantage, at least uh other than logistics, uh, but it's a, it's a difficult opener. And so if Georgia Tech opens one and three, which I think most people probably expect, um, that it's going to be pretty difficult, especially, you know, with the next ACC game on the road at Pitt, the defending champion, um, there's a, you know, there's a good chance that Jeff Collins might be out by, uh, the bye week, October 15th, especially if they, you know, somehow lose that game, uh, home, uh, against Duke on, on October 8th. So it's, it's tricky. I mean, if they're, if they're able to move on money wise, it seems like, um, this could be, you know, this could be the year because the schedule is very difficult. They do lose several of their most talented players. Um, they did have, you know, three starters in the secondary are gone, including two who are in NFL camps, one of which was drafted last year. Um, they have to kind of rebuild an offensive line, lose three full-time starters. Their three highest rated, uh, highest graded players, according to PFF are gone. You know, that's not really a, a scenario where, yeah, you know, running back is a, is a, even with Gibbs gone running back looks like a position of strength. They're able to bring in a couple of transfers, Dylan McDuffie, a thousand yard rusher from Buffalo, uh, Hassan Hall, who's been, you know, an all ACC, uh, special teams performer at Louisville throw in Dante Smith, who actually had a pretty you know solid year has been productive when he's had opportunities, but working behind an offensive line that was mediocre at best. Uh, last year and is now, you know, highly inexperienced. They bring in some former really highly rated players, uh, Paul Tichio and Pierce Quick from Clemson and Alabama, uh, respectively, but neither of those guys played very much at at either of those schools. And, um, you know, offensive line's kind of hard to uh, evaluate uh, from the high school level anyway. So sometimes guys who are, you know, really highly rated don't quite pan out just as much, it seems, as guys who are, you know, lowly uh, lower rated uh, do develop. So I think there is a little bit of, uh, you know, some more questions on, on offensive line uh, transfers, maybe, than at other positions. And, and that's a specific position of need for Georgia Tech. They also lost, you know, other impact transfers uh specifically on defense three guys who were starters last year Jared Ivy Jordan Dominic were you know Dominic specifically best pass rusher they had he's transferred to Arkansas Jared Ivy will be on the opposing sideline when they are the you know uh, the other side of the ball when they play Ole Miss in week 3 um they lost guys to you know places like Oregon State Pitt uh Tennessee West Virginia so uh, this isn't a scenario where it's you know they're losing uh players who uh need to drop down go to a group of five or an fcs program um because they were recruiting misses these are guys that that played a lot of snaps started a lot of games and were a big part of uh the starting lineup the two deep at georgia tech the last year or two and to me from the outside looking in just decided they need to go somewhere where they can win more um getting a a little bit tired of losing and in some ways you know maybe uh jeff collins is uh, you know whatever's uh, going on there behind the scenes i i could i could see how maybe some of the players kind of feel like i do where you know maybe we were had a little bit maybe maybe this guy is just sort of a uh talks a big game uh but hasn't quite you know followed through he's been saying the thing about transitioning from the triple option for 3 years and when you can, as we'll talk about it in, a, in a few teams, a team like Utah State completely rebuilt its roster through the transfer portal in one year and won the Mountain West Championship. Yeah, it's probably a little more difficult to do that at a place like Georgia Tech because of academic concerns and uh, or, you know, academic standards, but also uh, at a power five program. But, you know, you can move on from the tri- triple option much quicker than Georgia Tech is uh, you know, been trying to do for the last uh two or three years. So I don't really buy that as an excuse anymore. i'm I'm kind of definitely you know off the the Collins bandwagon uh, if he you know and the team proves me wrong, that's great. Uh, we are on the over a little bit, so it is you know just barely, but uh, we do see games projected close enough that Georgia Tech should have a, a chance to win four, maybe five games. I mean, we've got them favored against Western Carolina, favored against Duke. uh, And then within a touchdown or within a a single possession against Ole Miss, that's seven, uh, almost eight point projected point spread. Virginia is about a field goal. That's a winnable game, especially on a Thursday night at home after a bye week. Uh, And then less than a touchdown at Virginia Tech, which is a tough place to play, but against the first year head coach, you know, maybe that's a winnable game as well, but there just aren't that many games where you think, okay, Georgia Tech is uh, got a real shot, or this is a coin flip, or this is a game that they should win. There just aren't very many of those, and so that makes the the margin for error extremely uh, thin to get just that fourth win. Uh, let alone, you know, get to bowl eligibility, which is probably what you would expect in a normal situation is what would save Collins's job. So um, I am not particularly high on Georgia tech. I'm right now I'm, I'm out on Jeff Collins and, and this staff. Uh, we'll see if the change they made at offensive coordinator to bring in chip long, you know, that might help. Um, that they might be a little bit more creative on the offensive side of the ball. That has been a little bit of an issue. Um, they did bring in some transfers, you know, to try to shore up that secondary, uh, and then they do have a couple of you know really productive linebackers that you can build around him, Charlie Thomas and e Ile. so they're there you know I can talk myself into uh, giving them a chance but I just right now the way they've played the last three years the way they've sort of underperformed their talent level and expectations and and uh, just hasn't been a program that's moving in the right direction um, I'm pretty pessimistic uh one that collins will win enough to save his job but two
0: that that they actually will meet uh our current projection and get that fourth win javier what do you think about georgia tech can they take the step up this year have they become too stagnant to keep collins how do you think they're gonna be this year
2: oh he's gone that is that is the best way i could put it i, I just i think too many bridges have been burned i think i i absolutely, I absolutely agree with nick Jeff Collins came in with all the right things said. He came in, you know, firing on all cylinders when talking about changing the culture, changing the way that they're going to do their offense. Moving into the into the new uh, century, moving into the new decade of college football, and not being left behind, which is what so many Georgia Tech fans were clamoring for uh, for the last couple of year, you know the years before that. And Paul Johnson is just you know get out of this old style of football, and it just hasn't worked out the way he thought it was. You know, it just hasn't you know he hasn't hit the ground running like you you know maybe would have thought he would have, or at least maybe you know by this time coming into year three would have definitely had more you know more momentum in the right direction. It just hasn't worked Uh, for whatever reason. He just has not been able to, you know, turn the talent that he's been able to accumulate at his time here into wins. And that's been the biggest worry here for Jeff Collins is not necessarily just the fact that he's losing, but it's also the fact that he's bringing in really, you know, you know, pretty outstanding classes for Georgia Tech's level. In the last three years, He's had a top 50 class every year. This year, he also had a top 25 transfer class as well. And he's just been able to bring in kids from inside the state, which is something that he also promised once he got here. You know, the whole 404, we're going to take back the Atlanta area. We're going to take back the perimeter, which is called here. Um, we're going to make sure we also are able to get the kids outside the perimeter where college or high school football is played a little bit at a higher level, uh, you know, in, in the suburban areas. And even with all of that being the case, it just hasn't turned into to wins at this point and so you really see you know like nick said unless they are able to win a bowl game or get to a bowl game excuse me i don't see a way that jeff collins keeps his job and to be perfectly honest with you i'll be shocked if he makes the bye week that's just how daunting their first six games are in my opinion that they could definitely government go into the bye week two and four and and you know that that for an, you know, that uh, institution is just fed up with him a, as their head coach, depending on how bad some of these losses are, right? First week of the year, you play Clemson at, at a neutral site, uh, but that they'll probably be outsold in that game. Clemson travels well, um, and Clemson's probably going to go to that game in droves. Um, you know, Ole Miss at UCF with a guy like Gus Malzahn, who's not only, you know, understanding of what he needs to do, but is coming off of a pretty, you know, underwhelming season himself, so needs a pretty big win on his schedule. Then you have to go to Pitt where you're going to be playing, you know, Keaton Slovis and company. And then Duke for homecoming might be his last ball game if he gets to that point. Because I just genuinely don't believe that they're going to be able to rattle off enough wins in that first six games to keep him, you know, off of uh, what right now I think is a hot seat at that point it would be smoldering. And it would be really hard to see him, you know, come back from that and when you have such a daunting second half of the year where you're going to be having to go to Virginia. Or sorry, when Virginia comes to you, uh, you have to go to Florida State, which at that point Mike Norville might be trying to save his job uh you know playing a Miami team which should be better this year playing North Carolina and then at North Carolina at Georgia this is could be a very well a 3 to 4 win team and four wins is not going to cut it for Jeff Collins which I think would give him his third straight year of less uh, of less than 5 wins if i'm not mistaken so i, I think at this point you're you're really looking at uh you know him in a in a really rough situation. And he's done a pretty good job recruiting, which was one of the things that I thought he would struggle in going into Georgia Tech. Actually, if you were to win four games this year, it'd be the most wins he's ever had at Georgia State or sorry, at Georgia Tech under his tenure, which would be ridiculous uh, for a team that's gone three and eight, three and nine, three and seven, three and nine. Uh, so I just don't think Jeff is able to keep his job unless you see a, a tremendous turnaround. Um, you know, even some of the some of the transfers that he brought in, I felt like were uh how do I put this? I felt like they were not were unnecessary for a guy that might not have a job. Uh, You know, he brings in uh, Fomuchan from from Clemson, and I was just like, I mean, that's cool, but Fomuchan probably won't be playing for you if that's what you if that's what you sold to him uh, for him to come there. You know, uh, I mean, I just feel like some of the you know when I still remember talking to a ton of Georgia Tech students um, and even faculty that after they watched the Jeffsons uh, Under Armour All American game, he went ballistic. They were like, oh, yeah, he's coming to Georgia Tech and he's going to take us to our first, you know, major bowl game since the Orange Bowl. Like, I don't know how long ago that was, like seven years ago, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, 2014. So I'm sorry. Yeah, about seven, seven or eight years ago. So, yeah, I just feel like it's been too long for them to to stay pat with with, with him. Uh, this isn't going to be another Paul Johnson tenure where you kind of, you know, you're like, OK, cool. You know, we're going to let this slide because he's brought us such success. I think he's going to be out of there, by the way, to be perfectly honest with you.
0: We will see uh, going to be interesting there. Another team that uh, fell off uh, rank number 87 for us, Indiana. They look like a program on the rise The previous two seasons with 14 wins over 2019, 2020, but injuries and this, and just uh, bad juju uh, invaded the Hoosiers last year. They finished two and 10 uh, last year, including Oh, and nine did not win a single game against the big 10. Their DK win total is four. Uh, we have them at five and seven, so slightly over the four. But the question here is, Nick, you know, no one really fell as far as Indiana last year. They were one of the farthest droppers. They were incredible. It What were the two good seasons, the blip on Indiana's radar for football? Or was it the bad season that was the blip? Because uh, they historically have not been very good. Are they just returning to their normal spot? Or do you think last year was a down year and they'll get back to competing at least in the Big Ten this year?
1: I think that last bit of what you said is is uh, what I'm most ready to agree with. I, I think that they are definitely going to be more competitive. Are they going to be you know, a team that looked like a top 25 team um, in 2020? I mean, they were, what, six and one in the regular season? And looked like they might be on their way to becoming sort of the you know second best team in the Big Ten East, at least uh, in that short time frame. Um, that's obviously changed. Michigan is now a playoff team and, and Penn State continues to uh, recruit incredibly well and, and just be uh, one of the top you know, 10 or 15 most talented rosters in the country week in and week out, even if they've underperformed a little bit, uh, the last few years. I, I, I don't think, uh, I, I think people were a little too quick to buy in on Indiana as a sustained winning program. However, I think that, uh, Indiana certainly has an opportunity to really bounce back and, um, this is another one kind of similar to San Jose state where I'm glad we're on the over and I feel pretty confident about it. Um, Part of that is, you know, this should be, uh, you would expect a much healthier team last year. uh, They, I believe I read in the, the athletics state of the program uh, piece, they had 20 players, who were designated as having a season-ending injury, and then they had double-digit other players who missed at least five games. So, you know, that is just really, really difficult to overcome when you've got 30 players missing a significant amount of time, uh, including some major impact performers. I mean, you know, DJ Matthews, uh, highly rated transfer, wide receiver from... Uh, Florida State looked like he was going to be a playmaker early in the year. Uh, suffered a torn ACL, you know, has maybe an NFL future as a, a special teams player, uh, if nothing else. I mean, he's been that good as a punt returner, and they were without him after the you know first four games. Um, quarterback, of course, I mean, I, I probably should have started with that, but Michael Penix suffered another season-ending injury, and then uh, they ended up having, you know, their backup Jack Tuttle had a, an injury uh, that cost him uh, a a big amount of time. So they were going down to playing a true freshman who has since moved to wide receiver and Donovan McCulley and a walk on at quarterback at the end of the year. And so, um, you know, if they're a little bit healthier at that position, whether it's Connor Basilak, the transfer from Missouri, who it sounds like has the inside track to start, or, you know, if Jack Tuttle uh, is able to to come back and sort of uh, maybe recapture the form that made him a, uh, Four star recruit coming out of high school. They're able to mix in some talented transfers. You know, Sean Shivers didn't uh, put up big numbers at Auburn, but he always seemed to have a run or two every time, you know, every game he played, where at 5'7, 180 pounds, uh, he was a powerful enough runner that, you know, kind of had a couple of wow plays where he would, um, you know, run through somebody. Uh, but also, you know, pretty, pretty dynamic runner, whether it's he or Josh Henderson is a transfer the, the you know, thunder to Shivers is lightning, perhaps at, at 215 pounds. Uh, he's a transfer from North Carolina uh, with one of those guys with an offensive line that, though it ranked 104th in O-line performance, is experienced, brings back three full-time starters, plus Zach Carpenter, uh, the center, who was a transfer from Michigan, you know, pretty highly rated player uh, going into to uh his college career it seems like you know just on the offensive side of the ball just if you say they're going to be a healthier team uh, i think they'll take a step forward i mean they ranked you know 128 in passing team performance 118th in rushing team performance i think uh they you know should be certainly in the double digits right uh and, and that alone um will uh create some success now i'm not honestly the the biggest fan of the uh hire of walt bell as their offensive coordinator he was former head coach at umass uh did have some success as an offensive coordinator but um i just you know i i feel like uh perhaps there might have been an opportunity to to uh go with a little bit more creative uh of a hire but Sometimes I've said this before, uh, when you get fired, maybe you reevaluate things and maybe, you know, go through and, and question uh, some of your, uh, some of the things that you've done over the, the last little bit of your career that led to that point. And, you know, maybe it will be an opportunity for Walt Bell to kind of reinvent himself and, and uh, become you know, a a hotshot play caller again, we, we will see, but I think, you know, that offense, if they can take a small step forward, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic that the defense will. I, I really thought this time last year that Indiana might have one of the best defenses in the big 10. They were bringing back a lot of experience, uh, a lot of talented players um, you know, Several of which are are now in NFL camps, Uh, one of which Micah McFadden had a huge, huge year, uh, really had a huge career and and turned himself into a fifth round pick of the New York Giants. But, you know, they were hit really hard by injuries on the defensive side as well. Tyrone Mullen was um, an All-American caliber player a couple of years ago who missed a lot of time last year, only played 227 snaps. Um, but if he's healthy and, and can perform at, you know, an all conference level, then that's going to be a position of strength because they do bring back uh, two guys who are, you know, longtime starters, Jalen Williams, Devin Matthews, Brian Fitzgerald has played a lot in that secondary. Um, they are really, really experienced back there. And those guys have had some success. You mix in, A lot of transfers in the front seven, uh, guys like J.H. Tavis, who transferred from Cal, Patrick Lucas from Ole Miss, Miles Jackson from UCLA, Bradley Jennings from Miami. All of those guys are expected to, if not start, be, you know, big-time contributors, mix in with some veterans, some guys like Demarcus Elliott, who's been an all-Big Ten uh, defensive tackle, Cam Jones, who it sounds like is, you know, maybe the heart and soul kind of quote unquote guy of the, of uh, the defense, if not the team in general. And then, and I'm sure Xavier will will touch on this. um, They, as far as high school recruiting recruited incredibly well this past year, top 25 class um, in our recruiting strength numbers. I think it might've been just outside the top 25 in, in, two, four, seven sports rankings. Um, but that's a big jump. I mean, this is a team that's had what one top 40 class uh, since 2015. And, and that's just sort of where the, the numbers end where what I'm referring to here. So um, Indiana in some ways is very talented, has a lot of experience uh, last year, you know, things went sideways after some injuries started to pile up and and it sounds like uh, I believe it might have been the Athlon magazine and the, the anonymous uh, coaches, you know, talked about, you could see on film, it didn't necessarily look like they had quit, but the players were getting really frustrated just sort of with how things were going there. So they made a change in offensive coordinator that I think will help a little bit more uh, injury luck on that side of the ball should help. Tom Allen is now the defensive play caller. That should help. He was a highly, highly respected defensive mind, defensive play caller. Um, helped him get the job, uh, get promoted to head coach at Indiana. Um, but also, you know, there's someone else who will be technically the the defensive coordinator, new hire. So new, two new coordinators. I believe it's five new assistant coaches, um, and then hopefully an experienced and, and healthy roster. Uh, this is a team that, yeah, I think can can definitely bounce back. They're not going to be heavy favorites in many games. I mean, they're they're not more than a field goal favorite against any FBS opponents, according to our current projections. Um, but they've got winnable, you know, they could open up 3-0. Illinois is a winnable game. We have them as a very slight favorite. Uh, quick question. What do you guys think? This was kind of going through my mind. Um, I believe that this game against Illinois is... An advantage for Indiana because it's Indiana's opener. They've been thinking about Illinois since the end of last season. I'm sure their stuff up in the weight room have been the last six months. I'm sure coaches have been you know dug in on Indiana prep for weeks, months, maybe. Um, but Illinois plays in week zero against Wyoming, so all that you know. Let's get ready for you know week one, blah, 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 or you know first game. They've been saying Wyoming all summer. Um so I I, I wonder how, how that all plays out. Uh there might be a little bit of an advantage to Illinois to, to knocking that rust off, but I think there's
0: a prep uh time and and you know the ability one that definitely goes in favor of Indiana. I think so. Uh, I mean I think, so. Uh, I, I think it almost has to. Xavier, what do you think? Your your uh mic is muted there.
2: Oh no. I I think to be honest with you, I, I think that when you look at it that way. That at the very least, Illinois is going to have to come into that game. It reset almost. Um, you know, I think they're going to have to come into that game a little bit. Maybe not. At, I won't say as focused as what you're going to see from Indiana. Indiana is going to be raring to get to to, to get uh, to get some get back. Um, Illinois, on the flip side of that, especially if they haven't beaten Wyoming in, in, game, in week zero, could come into that game a little like Today's on the flip side, though, if they go in like shellac, Wyoming they're going to come into that game just as hyped and just as amped up and also with a week of confidence under that belt. So it could backfire, you know, every now and then you play a team that gets even Even sometimes this happens, you know, uh, in college or in high school it happened for me when with the preseason. A team goes off into a preseason game against a formidable opponent, beats the brakes off of them and comes into week one amped, you know, expecting themselves to be, you know, way better than what they may be actually. Um, and sometimes that could just be, you know, something you have to deal with in that in that week one matchup where you're, you know, you're coming in amped, but they already have the reps underneath them to kind of come in there with a little bit more confidence, understanding what they have and what they just saw. So it, it, it could go both ways. Uh, it definitely could go both ways.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, just another, you know, little thing that, that we don't mm-hmm. always have a way to account for it. Uh, put a number on it, but it does seem like, you know, right now, yeah, we've got Indiana as about a half-point favorite over Illinois. That mm-hmm. game is at home. Uh, but I think that that extra sort of prep time and build up to it, you know, I don't know what number I'd put on it, but might be worth a point or two in, in Indiana's favor. So right. um, that's a winnable game. Idaho, of course, they should, we, uh, should beat in week two. And then they play Western Kentucky, who they beat on the road last year, and... This I year's Western on. Kentucky team mm-hmm. not not as good, uh, <laughs> at least we think, is as, as last year. So three and zero is definitely a possibility. Two and one, I think, is is you know the expectation uh, at, at the the, the floor. Um, Cincinnati isn't the same old Cincinnati, and then you know this first half of the Big Ten schedule is manageable. At Nebraska, will be tough, but certainly winnable. Michigan getting them early, I think, is better than getting them late. Um, based on the turnover that they've had, and then Maryland and Rutgers, you know, definitely winnable games, uh, coin flips in our projections, uh, but but certainly winnable games. Indiana has a shot at five and two uh, before the bye week, and and then you know it's it's incredibly incredibly tough after they play Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan State two of those uh, on the road after that bye week. And then of course the rivalry uh, in state rivalry with Purdue, another winnable game, but uh, certainly um, after you're going through that three week stretch of the, the toughest teams in the division, maybe the conference, um, it's going to be difficult, but yeah, I think this Indiana team, I like the way the schedule sets up. I like, uh you know how the roster i think is going to set up especially if they get a little more injury luck i'm not as you know high on the change at offensive coordinator though i i think that there's definitely uh reason to expect that indiana will take a step forward offensively and and perhaps even a significant step forward offensively and i think this is a team that's going to bounce back so i am I am pleased that we are on the over. I think four is probably, I mean, you know, if this team goes four and eight, that'll be a disappointment again. Uh, I I think that this team, a bowl game is a reasonable
0: uh, goal and
1: a winning record is a
0: possibility. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on Indiana. Do you think that they can, uh, is this the norm for them? Are they going to be bad moving forward or... Uh, they were breaking out, then they slipped back to where they were, and now can they reach back up towards bowl contention?
2: I think a bowl game for them has got to be the baseline this year. Like, when you look at how they played last year and how abysmal it was, there's no way to go but up. Obviously, yes, they went to a ten, so there is a way for them to go down. I just don't believe it'll be that way. Um, You look at their non-conference schedule. Heck, you look at their first five games, I think you would be – upset if you're an indiana fan if you go anything less than you know four and one maybe three and two you might be comfortable with but you should absolutely beat illinois idaho western kentucky and then maybe you know as cincinnati might be a little bit of a trip up uh but you should be going into that first big 10 match or sorry that second big 10 matchup against nebraska maybe four and up oh, you know mm-hmm. with with an opportunity to, to really you know to start your season off five and up oh. To be perfectly honest with you, it, you know, it, with what we've seen from Indiana over the last couple of years, this should be a team that bounces back this year. I also feel like they got just a, they just met teams at the wrong time. Like they got uh, what we would find out to be a you know a hot Iowa team first game of the year. They got a playoff team in Cincinnati third game of the year. They get I got Penn State the fifth game of the year. Like their first five games featured three teams that at one point of the year would all be ranked in the top uh, the top ten at some point in the year so i just feel like that was just a really bad draw and then right off of a bye week you get michigan state and ohio state in back-to-back matchups by that time your season's dead like they're seeing that and like they had last year for the most part their season was dead uh by that point and they handled the games that they were actually supposed to which were idaho and western kentucky last season um so i think on the flip side of that you look at this year you, you, you know, you win your first four games. You're coming in that Nebraska game with a little confidence. Maybe they beat Nebraska on the road. And, and then at that point, all bets are off. Um, Cause then you've got Maryland at Rutgers. They might not play a ranked team. They'll play r- one ranked team in their first seven games where last year they played seven, uh, five in their first seven games. So they should definitely just be, you know, at least more competitive, just purely based off of who they've got in their first seven matchups. And the only ranked team that they'll be playing in that time frame will be Michigan and is at home uh, where you also get Maryland and at Rutgers before you get Penn state, Ohio state and Michigan state back to back to back. But that's, you know, at that point you might be five and one or sorry, five and two, six and one, uh, four and three at the absolute worst. Uh, so I fully expect this team to make a bowl game. Uh, I think, like I said, they're going to have to win the games that they need to, Ah, uh, the only game I have them as a pure underdog, and Nick, you could tell me if, if the numbers should say the same thing. The only game I would have them as a pure underdog is against Michigan in that first seven weeks. Uh, maybe at Nebraska, they're they're an the underdog, but that, in my opinion, it shouldn't be that big of a gap. This should be a team that absolutely by their bye week is at worst five and two.
1: Yeah, we we have them favored against Illinois, Idaho, Western Kentucky, and Rutgers. We have them okay. as on uh, have them as about a one. Point underdog to Maryland. Okay, um, we're we're relatively high on Nebraska, and it being on the road is is why. But they're uh over a touchdown underdog against Nebraska, Michigan, of course, and Cincinnati. Uh, both of those teams are we're, we're maybe a little too high on on those two teams in particular based on their twenty twenty one. Performance, which kind of goes into the calculation because both of those teams have significant uh, turnover, especially on the defensive side of the ball for, for Michigan. Um, but I think they'll be underdogs in those two and, and being at Cincinnati, um, unless Cincinnati just looks like a completely, completely different team right. those first three weeks. Uh, I think they'll probably be an underdog, but we'll probably be. Um, maybe a little higher on Cincinnati than I would like, if that makes sense. So uh, they, I mean, winnable games. Yeah. Five, five in that stretch, maybe even six is certainly possible. Uh, I don't think any of those games is a guaranteed loss, Um, but a a handful of them or three of them, I should say we do have is between seven and 10 uh, points uh, projected that they will be an underdog.
2: Understood. Yeah, no. And so that's, that's even with that, That means four and three at the absolute worst, just based purely off of the numbers that we have. So, like I said, I I think this is a team that should be in a bowl game next year. Um, You know, when you look at their win total being four, I'd be putting heavy money on them going over. I think that's way too low, just purely based off of the fact that their schedule was easier this year. They don't, you know, they don't get such a hard, you know, uh, con- contest from the other side of the conference. They even get Purdue at the end of the year as well, which is at home. Uh, the Maryland game is at home as well. So a toss-up at home gives me confidence too. I-, I just don't see where this Indiana team for the second year in a row is just that disappointing, especially, and Nick alluded to it, when you brought in such a good class, you had a 30-ranked uh, class overall, which is amazing for, for Indiana in, in its own right. Then you brought in the top 30 class as far as recruiting uh, – sorry, as far as uh, transfer – rankings are as well, bringing in a corner from Alabama, bringing in some SEC talent from Tennessee, Missouri, Auburn, Ole Miss, uh, two players from Ole Miss. You brought in a guy from Miami, North, two guys from North Carolina. I just feel like they they were able to do all of the right things to help you bounce back from a year where you hugely underperformed so that you don't end up in a, And I don't mean to throw in, you know, as the kids would call it, shade, but you don't end up in a Northwestern type situation where you have back to back poor seasons after maybe a a, a surprise season in the eyes of the rest of college football.
0: I like that, uh, as the kids would call it.
2: And uh, by the way, Xavier is the
0: kids. So uh, at least compared to Nick and I, you're the kids of this show. Uh, Technically,
2: (laughs) technically, TikTok was not created for my generation.
0: So now I can say it. (laughs) There you go. Okay, Uh, you know, it's funny. My mom watches TikTok more than (laughs) I do. She she finds all those clips so funny. So uh, I'm more of a Reels guy, Uh, Instagram for me. Uh, Let's go to uh, North Texas at number 86. UNT lost its first six games against FBS opponents. Uh, Turning things around, though, late, winning five straight, including uh, an upset over Conference USA champ, UTSA, because I definitely bet on that game, uh, to make a bowl. And they finished 6-7 and overall. DK has them at six and a half. We have them at seven and five. So we're over on North Texas here. Nick, Uh, the mean green made huge strides defensively in 2021, but must replace several key players on both sides of the ball uh, because of graduation and transfers. Will the return of Katie Davis, Oscar Attaway Jair shorter and Tommy Bush offset those departures and make them potentially another uh, bowl team. Once again, this season, Nick, uh, yeah, I think a bowl game is
1: certainly a fair expectation. Uh, you said we're on the the over, and you know we are as close as can possibly be. Uh, we actually, you know, again as we do this, we do projected point spreads for every game, uh, convert those based on past data to a projected uh, winning percentage, add those up, and you know, point five one. Uh, wins equals 51% projected win percentage in, in week one against uh, UTEP. So add all those up, and we're at 6.51 uh, projected wins. So there is no edge whatsoever here. Uh, we could absolutely just as easily go under, but I, I do think I'd rather be on the over. Um, North Texas last year, the offense Surprisingly, was the weaker of the two units, especially when all is said and done. It, it, you know, you mentioned it was kind of a tale of two seasons, and the defense. It took a little bit for them to to come on, but um, they really turned it around in uh, the second half of the year and finished, you know, top fifty in defensive team performance, uh, top thirty-five against the run, and North Texas under Seth Luttrell has pretty consistently you know put up solid offensive numbers. last year they took a big step back, especially in the passing game. They finished 80th in offensive team performance overall, 41st uh, rushing and 110th passing and part of that I think was a couple of the names you mentioned guys coming back like JR Shorter and Tommy Bush, uh, both of which missed significant time with injury and both of which were you know considered maybe you know potential all, Uh, Conference USA wide receivers last year. Tommy Bush, the four-star transfer from um, Georgia. Jair Shorter uh, had been incredibly productive prior to 2020, but he's missed time each of the last couple of years. But a bigger, you know, Bush is the taller target. Uh, Shorter is a uh, just sort of a bigger target, uh, 215-plus pounds. But those guys with Roderick Burns, who had a pretty good year, stepping up in, in a, a bigger role that's a solid wide receiver core Oscar Attaway was you know projected to be the starter at running back last year he goes out DeAndre Torrey has to transition back to a full-time running back role it looked like he was going to get kind of a hybrid position um, he goes out and is a thousand yard rusher ends up getting an invite to uh, you know, signed with the New York Jets as an undrafted free agent. So, um, Attaway, again, projected to be uh, the starter over um, Tory last year, or at the very least, split uh, time with him. You get him back fully healthy. And that would make me think, you know, that he's a, a, a potential pro prospect, at least, you know, maybe get a, a camp invite in a year or two. Uh, pencil him back into that number one spot, or they did develop some depth last year. Guys like Ikeka Rasdale, uh, Isaiah Johnson, AOA Day, uh, all got, you know, uh, saw over 150 snaps and, and got some work. All of them are 200 pounds or more, Johnson being 220, over 220. Um, so I, I think that that running game will continue to be pretty good. Austin Ani, who is a returning starter at quarterback can run a little bit as well. He's just been wildly inconsistent uh, as a passer. And to address that, North Texas went heavy into the transfer portal. Not only is Ani back and Jace Reuter is back, but they added Grant Cannell, former starter um, at Arizona, uh, or you know made six starts at Arizona, was projected to be the starter after he transferred to Memphis, um, last year missed the season with a, uh, you know, significant injury. He's back, hasn't played much in the last couple of years, but was a, I believe he's, he was the all time leading passer in Texas high school history when he came out of school. If if I'm remembering correctly. So, uh, you know, a guy who was highly, uh, rated coming out of high school looked like maybe the future of that Arizona program until, uh, things went sideways, could be a big get. Um, but they added Ganell after they had added JD Head, transfer from Louisiana Tech, and Stone Earl, who was a starter at Abilene Christian at the FCS level. So they brought in, you know, a lot of guys. It looks like a, this quarterback competition could be six deep, uh, which includes a returning starter. And you think, okay, Seth Luttrell is going to find somebody to give North Texas a better quarterback play. If he's got a healthy group of skill position players to work with, and they added a couple to the mix as well, guys like Jay Macklin, who was a transfer from Missouri, Latrell Neville from uh, Nebraska, four returning starters on the offensive line, including an all-conference center. You know, this offense should be better. They should be back to the the consistent... uh, you know, North Texas offense, they ranked 30th in offensive team performance in 2020 had a bad year in 2019, but they were, you know, 53rd in 2018, 38th in 2017. If they can move into that, uh, fifties range, then if the defense can kind of, uh, hold not slip too much, then I think this North Texas team is going to be, you know, a, a contender in conference USA. And we've said, every team so far could could potentially be. That's just sort of what Conference USA looks like uh, this year. But I, I do believe that. I think they'll have the ability to beat anybody on their schedule in conference play, and that includes UTSA and, and Western Kentucky and UAB, who they play, those three teams in a four-week period. So, you know, pretty tough uh, schedule set up. All those games are on the road, but still, you know, none of them are, are uh, games in which – uh North Texas is a double digit underdog. I mean those are those are going to be games where they've got, you know, maybe a touchdown underdog against uh Western Kentucky or UAB 35, 30, you know, to forty percent chance of winning any of those three games. So you would expect they'll win one. Uh maybe maybe even have find a way to, to win a second. But Defensively is now a, a little bit of the issue. They they were able to turn it around under first-year defensive coordinator Phil Bennett last year. They got an incredible pass rush uh, out of guys like Grayson Murphy, Gabriel Murphy, uh, up front defensively. Um, Dion Noville was uh, an undrafted signee uh, with the Los Angeles Rams. So they're, they're going to be missing – some guys who made a big impact up front. North Texas last year ranked 13th in our defensive line performance ratings. It looked like they were going to lose Katie Davis to the transfer portal just a week or two ago. Sounded like he was getting some immediate interest from teams, you know, uh, in the SEC. Texas A&M, I remember specifically, was in the mix, but he decides to come back, and you know, you you love that because he's an All-Conference. Performer, somebody you can build around in the middle of that defense, but they've got questions up front. And they also lost half their secondary, um, including, you know, again, a a couple of guys who transferred out. So there's a lot of moving parts. And North Texas, I think, you know, will benefit similar to Indiana from just a little more injury luck, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I think that the step forward they took defensively last year. It's going to be tough to maintain a top 50 level based on the guys that they lost up front, especially as good as they were uh, defending the run. But I, I do believe that, you know, this team was better coached last year, and I think that really uh, was a big part of that step forward in the second half. If they continue you know, to get that level of coaching, I, I think that helps negate a little bit of that talent drop-off. And we might see, like I said, not a top 50 defense, but maybe top 75, something like that. And so if your offense can move a little closer to that top 50 level, then this North Texas team is absolutely going to be in the mix for a winning record, a bowl game. There are a lot of winnable games on the schedule, a lot of toss ups. Like I mentioned, those those uh, top rated teams in Conference USA, they they are going to be in those games, even though the the schedule doesn't set up particularly well uh, with playing all three on the road, but I think that there are enough winnable games elsewhere that even if you go zero and three in that stretch, th- this team is going to have a chance to get back to a bowl game. And you know, seven wins in
0: the regular season is a very reasonable goal and expectation. Javier, your thoughts on North Texas this year? Do you think uh, this is they're going to go bowling again? Or do you think that uh, maybe there's too much to replace?
2: I don't think I don't see why not. Let me say that. Let me say that first and foremost. Uh, My only worry with them is I hope that they didn't allow last year to be something that they kind of continue doing. And what I mean by that is, you know, you can't start off that slow every year and just, you know, say we're going to turn it on at some point. You know, sometimes that does become a a place for kids to be able to kind of. Point towards, and you know, fans alike, where they're like, Yeah, I know we started off one and three. Well, fine, we can turn it on like we did last year. And sometimes you can, and sometimes, most times, you cannot. Uh, So, hopefully, that's not something they end up leaning on. Uh, From the coaching staff, though, I I get the sense that they're not, not trying to. Just by looking simply at their transfer rating and the limited amount of kids that they were able to bring in this year. You know, they only brought in 12 cl- kids uh, in their entire recruiting class as a whole. They almost brought in just as many of that in the transfers, and they had a top, you know, a top 75 transfer ranking this year uh, finishing with the 60th best transfer rating according to 247. So this is clearly a front, uh, clearly a team, clearly, you know, my uh, coaching staff that wants to build on what they did last year, sees the problems and maybe see some of the issues. You talked about the secondary Nick, they brought in not one, but two secondary pieces this year uh, in the, in the transfer portal, transfer portal, excuse me. And uh, Zahodri Zoh- uh, Jackson from Utah state and Nicholas, and I'm not going to try that last name uh, <laughs> uh, safety as well uh, from central Arkansas. So, they clearly you know, are, see that as an issue. Jay, bringing in J.D. Head from Louisiana Tech I think gives him the depth at the quarterback position just in case. Uh, tell me something, Nick, and I think I might be right with this statement. Jay Macklin, brother of Jeremy Macklin.
1: I think he's a cousin.
2: Okay. He's a cousin, uh, yeah. Because he also played at Missouri, so I, the ties yeah. are just there. Yeah.
1: Um, and I believe the uh, safety that you're talking about, uh, who played 14 games at uh, Central Arkansas, I believe that's Nick – uh nequasa okay would
2: be my best guess it wasn't Apologies that hard I just, didn't want, I just didn't want to butcher it too badly um but yeah uh, i think i think this is a team that can improve on what they did last year um and can once again make another bowl game i'm gonna go with a very soft over so like seven it's like they're at six and a half i think they can get to seven wins um, I will say I do not believe that their non-conference schedule is as daunting as it was last year. Um, I do, you know, when you have to go to Missouri, Marshall was, you know, a beast at points last year. Um, I'm, and also that defense just didn't seem like it came around until the end of the year. Um, as good as that pass rush was, you just didn't really see it. I mean, I remember going into the last year, week of the season and Nick was like, there's no way that UTSA loses to North Texas. I, mean, I think all of us here were talking about North Texas just getting shellacked. And then we were all like, and then they won that game pretty impressively. And Nick was like, yeah, we were off on that one, I believe. Um, So, I think this year you're going to see much more of a consistent basis of that. I'm not saying they're going to, you know, kill UTSA again, but I just think that they're going to be a more of a consistent bunch this year where they're not having to claw out of such a hole. And that'll do a large, you know, a large number on them making a bowl game one and two, getting the over uh, being seven wins. If they get past seven wins, to what Nick said, they might be in the Conference USA conversation come the end of the year where, you know, their schedule to an extent has taken kind of a flip where last year they got UAB to start the year off this year, they get UAB in one of their last two games. Uh, So whether or not they are actually able to make a conference USA championship will be decided in the second half of the year, as opposed to really in the first half of the year where they played all the big dogs. So uh, I I think, um, I I think we are good on North Texas and I'm going to go with the over. And like I said, a soft over. So we're literally just going with seven wins.
0: All right, let's move on over here to number 85 Cal and Cal. They dug a hole in the first half. Started one and five. Their only win was over Sacramento State, but they won four of their final five, including some big wins against Oregon State, Stanford, USC, uh, to finish five and seven. Uh, though they were zero and five in one score games. DK has got them uh, with five and a half wins. We have them at five and seven. So yet another under for us here. Nick Cal entered the off season with momentum, but they rank. 126 in returning production, 127th on offense, 81st in roster strength. The Bears should play solid defense, underrated, like I always say. But will the offense score enough to get them a bowl, big, uh, a bowl bid that has been kind of their uh, bugaboo the last, uh, you know, I don't know, decade is whenever the defense is strong, the offense doesn't play very well, just like my cheese ball of Cal versus TCU, where I saw nine interceptions. Great defense, bad offense. Uh, that has been the trend. Is that going to continue? So I was prepared
1: as we were, you know, as I was researching Cal, reading up, you know, looking at, at our numbers, I was prepared to be very pessimistic. Um, I mean, part of it, Cal has one of the, uh, on paper, least talented rosters of any power five school they rank 81st in roster strength 80th on offense 84th on defense there are only 65 power five you know schools um so that's at or near the bottom in, in each category and then you look at returning production uh it's not always you know doesn't always indicate a, a uh, major bump or fall, but if you're on the extreme ends, it usually does. And Cal actually ranks 126th in overall returning production, including 127th on the offensive side of the ball. They're only 78th on defense, but if you look at, you know, they lost two guys who got drafted last year and, and two others who are in, uh, NFL training camp. So though the numbers aren't quite as bad on the defensive side of the ball, they did lose some of their you know best and most talented players. So I was ready just to be, yeah, Cal, man, I'm glad we're on the under. There's no way this team's going to a bowl. Uh, this could be one of the worst power five teams in, in college football. But, I mean, one, they, they play a little bit of a, a style that we've discussed in the past where, uh, they play solid defense. They have a track record as a uh, consistently tough defense. They they only ranked 59th in defensive team performance last year, but they were top 30 defending the pass, 59th against the run uh, in our team performance ratings. And I think that was a little bit of an underachievement. They they had some injuries that um, you know definitely played a role. Brett Johnson. Had a uh, was injured in a car accident. starting defensive end before the season started, so he, he ended up uh, not playing at all. Uh, Keone Dang, who you know one of those undrafted free agents, only played sixty three snaps because he had uh, a significant injury that that you know cost him. Um, uh, they, they. I think you know. Usually, you would expect Cal to to uh, even perform a little bit better. And there's a chance, even though there's you know some significant turnover, they do get Johnson back. They did bring in a couple of transfers, including Jackson Sermon, starting linebacker, likely starting linebacker, uh, who transferred from Washington to play under his father, who's the defensive coordinator. Uh, and then Xavier Carlton, you know, played 200 plus snaps at Utah uh last year and and probably projects to be a starter up front for cal i think they're going to be fine on that side of the ball the question as it always has been under justin wilcox at, at cal is will the offense do something um you know last year they actually ranked decently well in uh a lot of our numbers at least not you know worst of the worst they were 60th in overall team performance only 93rd passing but top 40 running and had a pretty good you know one two punch at running back uh damian moore was a returning starter last year he and christopher brooks kind of combined brooks has since transferred to byu Uh, But Moore is, you know, back and and capable. Um, I've heard some really good things about a true freshman there, Jaden Ott. Sounds like he's going to have an opportunity to get some playing time uh, alongside, you know, DeCarlos Brooks, Chris Street, Um, kind of right now backing up more. But, uh, you know, Ott is the highest rated recruit of any of those. So there's certainly a chance, uh, and he's on the bigger side, close to 200 pounds, that, you know, seems like he's ready he might actually step up and and be a starter or co-starter there um I you know they brought in Jack Plummer transfer from Purdue who had been kind of in and out of the starting role there um the last uh, couple of years started uh, more than a dozen games um there's some some things to you know give a little bit of optimism. Um, yeah, they have to chase, replace Chase Garbers, who, though not spectacular, was solid as as quarterback there. Getting Plummer, you know, it, it's, it's not a positive, but at least the drop-off probably shouldn't be quite as significant as it might have otherwise been. They do have to replace, basically, you know, their starting lineup uh, at the wide receiver and tight end position. Four starters, Kikoa Crawford, Trayvon Clark, Jake Tongas, the tight end, and Colin Moore, also a tight end, uh, are, uh, you know, onto their professional careers. Uh, plus, they lost Nico Remigio, who transferred to Fresno State. So they are, and Gavin Reinwald at tight end transferred to Rice. So there's, there's a lot of turnover at the skill positions, but they've actually recruited, you know, decently well that, again, you think that the drop off might not be. Super significant. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of proven talent, but Jeremiah Hunter, high three star type guy, um, guys who didn't play very much last year, but came in as uh, you know four star plus uh, type recruits like J. Michael Sturdivant, uh, Jermaine Terry, tight end. You know, will those guys take another step forward? Uh, Marvin Anderson even was a you know over a ninety rated player coming out of high school. So. Uh, will those players be able to step up and, and become playmakers? Um, they they are certainly unproven, but I think the potential is there. This offensive line actually rated incredibly well in our O line performance uh, rankings last year, fifteenth nationally. Only two starters are back, but you know one uh, player who's not a full time starter did play over three hundred snaps. Left tackle Braden Rome. Uh, they also bring in Spencer LaBelle, who you know played uh, a significant number of steps over 250, at Arizona State last year. So, uh, the, again, the, the it's not like that uh, talent or, or roster strength number is improving, but it's not as big of a drop-off as that 127th number in returning production might indicate. And then the thing that gives me the biggest pause about you know, just writing off Cal completely. The schedule sets up incredibly well. They open against UC Davis, an FCS opponent, then go, uh, excuse me, then host UNLV. That should be a 2-0 start. They do have to go play at Notre Dame. That's probably a loss. Uh, But then they host Arizona, go to Washington State, have a bye week, and then go to Colorado. You'd probably rather, you know, not have two of those three on the road colorado washington state and arizona but getting those three uh especially arizona and colorado who are our two lowest rated pac-12 teams getting them as early in the season as they do five and one is a reasonable start i mean you know we our numbers don't suggest that we actually if you count up all the individual you know projected winning percentages we would expect 3.4 wins so three and two uh or excuse me three and three is is probably more likely but you know there are there's the potential for five wins there um the second half of the schedule is is much much tougher but you know Stanford is definitely beatable I mean Cal blew them out last year right when 40 to uh, forty-one to eleven. So getting them at home, that's absolutely a winnable game. And you know who knows how? Uh, there's there's certainly a chance that Washington is is every bit as beatable as they were last year. That trip to Oregon State, though tough, is is a winnable game. Uh, USC, UCLA, you know, have a tendency to to underachieve their talent level. Um, so those aren't out of the realm of possibility. The game against Oregon, first time head coach, you know, that first time offensive play caller. So that might be a a situation where Cal, who plays such solid defense Mm -hmm. and is highly respected on that side of the ball. um, Yeah, that might give Oregon a a bit of trouble. So I, Mm -hmm. I didn't like Cal. I mean, just did not think things were set up for them to be I mean, yeah, maybe their style of play would keep them competitive, but I didn't think this team had a shot at a bowl game, but I started looking at the schedule and man, I mean, you, you could at least in the first half couldn't have drawn up a better, uh, other than the trip to Notre Dame, which is a little bit weird. Uh, but you know, still understandable. Other than that, I mean, you couldn't have drawn up a, a better, uh, first six games, if you're trying to get over that hump and get back to a bowl game, so I think still I'm I'm glad that we're uh, technically on the under, but I don't know, man. This this schedule
0: there's a there's a lot of winnable games. Xavier, your thoughts? Do you think that uh, Cal? Uh, has a chance to be a bowl team here, or is this lack of offense really going to just smother them?
2: I, I mean, Nick hit it on the head. If they can go five and one in their first six, all bets are off, right? Then they just need one. Like now, granted, they get a uh, hellacious back end of the year where they're going to have to play Washington, Oregon, USC, Oregon State. Oregon State being on the road is never an easy task. Stanford and UCLA – you know, it's gonna be hard. Like, it's gonna be difficult for them to, 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 for me to find a comfortable sixth win for them. But I won't rule out just because of how easy their first five, six games are, in my opinion. Uh, unless they have a blip on there where they lose to Arizona, or you know, they just can't handle going to Pullman and they lose to Washington State, then by all means, they should have a team going into, the, you know, yeah, going into a rough start of the year, or, or sorry, rough end of the year should be able to squeak out a win. Now, Cal's also been a team that's given some of these programs. uh, Hell the last couple of years, especially defensively, right? Uh, They do get Washington at home. That could be a game that they end up pulling out. Uh, They do get Stanford at home. Who's just know what Stanford looks like at that point in the year. That could be a game that they end up pulling out as well. UCLA, UCLA at home is another one. Uh, So I, you know, Where where Cal absolutely offensively scares me game you know week to week basis if they're going to be even able to put up twenty plus points uh, I I just see a team that maybe maybe goes ahead and gets back or gets back to a bowl game and is able to you know get the 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 over just ever so slightly by the skin of their teeth Um, this would be a bet that I would definitely be sweating all season if I made the over to be perfectly honest with you Um, on the recruiting trail this is definitely a team that saw itself. Uh, as needing to get better right away top 50 recruiting class as far as a uh, transfer rating is concerned uh you know they were able to bring in quality they went with they went for quality over quantity uh bringing in only six guys but all of them being three stars or higher um and in the case of uh, uh, xavier uh, carlton out of utah uh, a four-star high school recruit and a four-star transfer which is really big for 247 if you're able to bring in both jack sermon uh, Jackson Sermon, excuse me, from, from Washington is another one. Washington typically puts out pretty good linebackers. So does Cal. So for him to go there, uh, you know, I, I think he'll hit the ground running um, and be somebody that can uh, immediately contribute for them. Uh, they brought in a ton of defense. Uh, they brought in out of the six transfers, four of them uh, were uh, defensive guys. Um, so I'm really excited for that as well to see what they're able to do. Uh, they did bring in, you know, Jack at quarterback from Purdue, is he going to be somebody that helps them offensively? Who's to really say? With Cal, I feel like, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like Cal haven't hasn't had like a, a good offense since Aaron Rodgers left. I just I, off. I, I, oh, cool. There we go. I was like, when Sonny okay, like, Dykes was
1: there, they had no defense, and so it's been it's been <laughs> like just an extreme shift one to, one to the other.
2: Fair enough, wow. Scott. Thank you for thank you for, for mentioning Jared Goff. I, I'm sorry, I, I forgot. I uh, just hasn't, you know, uh, slipped my mind there. But yeah, I, I just feel like every year we go into talking about Kyle the same way since we started this podcast, which is, hey, if Kyle has an offense, they might be pretty good. But if Kyle has an offense, they, they may have been able to compete for a Pac-12 championship at this point, how good their defense is been in the past couple of years and how much their defense has had to carry them to seven and five seasons and six and six seasons over the last, you know, know, uh, four or five years. So once again, with Cal, if their offense is able to provide them a pulse, especially during the back half of the year, this is going to be a team that wins six games and gets to a bowl game. If not, every game after Colorado is genuinely going to be, uh, you know, a struggle for them to even compete, to be perfectly honest.
0: All right, let's go on to the next squad here. Sitting at uh, number 84 is Utah State. And uh, one of the biggest Cinderella stories of the 2020 season Utah State beat San Diego State for the Mountain West uh, Conference title and Oregon State in the LA Jimmy Kimmel Bowl to cap an 11 and 3 season, a 7 and 2 debut in conference for head coach Blake Anderson. Uh, They've got DK has got them at seven wins. We have them at seven and five, but this is a rare. We have them at seven and five. weren't taking the under because our projected is 6.63, which rounds up to seven. And Nick Anderson quickly remade this Utah State roster and found immediate su- success last year with a new low wide receiver corpse and a defense that ranks 111th in returning production. Can Utah State recapture that same magic and have staying power within the Mountain West or... Was maybe that just uh, everything broke right for them in 2021?
1: It was a, a pretty perfect storm in 2021. I mean, we were we were pretty high on Utah State, and, and the way that we incorporate transfers into our roster, you know, strength calculations definitely gave Utah State a bump. We expected them to improve, but I, you know, I don't think anybody saw uh, that team from 2020 becoming Mountain West champions last year and winning 11 games. I mean, it was just pretty, pretty incredible. Um, They had a lot of success. You know, the, that receiving core you mentioned turnover, they lose three receivers who caught 10 or more touchdowns last year. Uh, That includes, you know, all American level uh, production from Devin Tompkins, who was one of the, you know, uh, more fun players that, that, I remember watching last year, just uh, always excited to, to see what he would do when he would get his hands on the football. So um, they're going to be, you know, looking for playmakers and they think similar to, you know, that 2021 rebuild, they went into the transfer portal and, and they hope I think that they've got a couple of guys who are going to come in, might not be able to, to put together uh, 30 touchdown catches across three, uh, players, but brought in Brian Cobb's from Maryland, who's been uh, you know a starter level player, a lot of starting experience at power five level. Xavier Williams from uh, Alabama transferred in, didn't get a whole lot of playing time, but um, you know raw talent wise is certainly what you're looking for. Justin McGriff has been you know, it has been a round played a hundred and, or excuse me, 850 snaps last year. Didn't have a ton of production, but has been a starter is a big target red zone threat type guy. You would expect that he's going to have uh, the ability or, or, you know, the opportunity to make a big impact this year. And then there are a couple of, uh, you know, not saying that they are going to develop into Devin Tompkins, but if you're looking, you know, the the size wise and style wise, uh, Terrell Vaughn, who's a junior college transfer, Nine-Nine Davis, who's a redshirt freshman, and then maybe even Kyle Van Noyel, uh, who played a little bit last year as twelve games in his career. All those guys are five ten or under, one hundred eighty pounds or under, a uh, little bit more in that mold. And I've read some, you know, really good things about Vaughn from the spring. Uh, Davis, I know, is has, has gotten a little buzz as well. So there's potential there. Not a whole lot of proven commodities, but uh, you know, don't be don't be surprised if one or two of those guys steps up and has uh, some pretty eye popping numbers at the end of the year. Because quarterback Logan Bonner is back. Guy threw for over you know uh, three thousand yards, thirty five hundred yards, and, and thirty touchdowns. Uh, they also have returning starter at running back Calvin Tyler. Even though Utah State only ranked one hundred eleventh in our rushing offensive team performance, uh, Tyler was able to put up. You know, good enough numbers, 900 plus rushing yards. Uh, they added a little bit of depth to that position just yesterday uh, with Jordan Wilmore, who's a transfer originally from Utah, most recently at, at Fresno State. Uh, so, you know, offensively, skill position wise, quarterback wise, they're probably going to be okay. Experience wise on the offensive line, you know, looking great. They have five starters back. Um, Plus some some uh, other guys who contributed and, and chipped in. Uh, the only problem is the unit ranked 115th in O line performance last season. So hopefully they'll get a little bit better offensive line play. I think that'll help the you know passing offense continue to perform at a pretty high level and might even help that running game take a little bit of a step forward. Defensively, you know they also lost uh, some big impact guys. Justin Rice has just been a tackling machine across three different schools the last five years. Uh, he has finally exhausted his eligibility. Nick Kaniger developed into one of the most, uh, disruptive pass rushers in the mountain West. Um, you know, he is, is finally moved on. Uh, looks like seven starters are, are out of eligibility according to our calculations, including, um, you know, And they, they lost a, a couple of guys in the secondary who were uh, starter-level players in Cam Lampkin, who transferred to Washington State, and then, as we mentioned before, Zedoria Jackson transferred to North Texas. So a lot of turnover on that side of the ball. They did dip into the transfer portal for a handful, half-dozen, of potential impact transfers, including uh, you know, a couple of guys, edge defenders, Daniel Grisiak, John Ward, from Nevada and UCLA, respectively, at linebacker, MJ Tafasi from Washington, Anthony Switzer, another Arkansas State transfer uh, that, you know, formerly played with Blake Anderson. He is kind of a hybrid type guy listed as a linebacker, has played safety in the past as well. Elijah Shelton from Utah and Gervin Hall Jr. from Miami, they found success last year uh, dipping in and, and getting, you know, P5 type transfers uh, especially up front defensively, was a big help. Guys like Patrick Joyner, Byron Vaughn, who still could be one of the better defensive end duos in the Mountain West. Um, there's there's going to be a, a little bit of a drop-off, I think, and I think there's actually going to be a little bit of natural regression as well. Like we said, this everything pretty much went right last year, it seemed. I, I, it's hard for that to happen again uh this year so if everything just goes back to average you know luck wise injuries all that sort of stuff um it's gonna you know 11 wins just doesn't seem uh likely at all i mean they do open against connecticut they do have an fcs opponent weaver state uh so they're looking at two and one sandwich those wins between a trip to alabama But they have that road game against Alabama, have a road game against BYU. And, you know, the Mountain West is tough. It's going to be competitive. They are favored in one, two, three, four, five Mountain West games in our projections. But they have to go to Boise State on a Friday night at the end of the season. They have to go to Wyoming. They have to travel to Hawaii. Um, You know, have to play Air Force as, as always, have to go to Colorado State. There's there's some tough you know tricky spots there. They do get two bye weeks because of that week zero game against UConn. That probably helps. Uh, but you know if I'm going to pick and choose where I'm going to play on the road in the Mountain West, they've got four uh, of the toughest, I would say. So I think the schedule's a little bit tougher. Uh, the non-conference is set up for at least one loss, maybe two, and in the Mountain West, you know it, it's a tough league. Uh, competitive league. And, and so a team that is having to replace 45% of its overall return production, more than half of its defensive uh, production, it, it's it's going to be difficult to expect this team to get back to the Mountain West Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that they are a bowl-capable you know, team, uh, but that seven wins, maybe even six, if we were to, to like you said, round uh, down um, I, I think is is more realistic. I do think this program probably has staying power long term, but I think that they will take a little bit of a step back this year, uh, just because last year, you know, everything clicked and, and was so special. It's going to be very difficult for for any team uh, to win, you know, a, a conference championship and, and double digit wins two years in a row. And I'm just not
0: sure that that this particular roster is quite uh, built for that at this point Xavier, your thoughts on Utah state, because we saw Utah state get, I believe they were the first uh, report. You know, you could tell it was peak. uh, Well, not off season preseason. It was peak preseason (laughs) when uh, we saw Utah state have a, you know, national championship bet placed on them for a thousand yeah, bucks yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. articles and stuff. So to have them down here in the 80s may look surprising, but this is a G5 team, uh, like Nick said, without a lot of returning production, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. We know the offense is going to be good under Blake Anderson, as it was last season. Can the defense keep them in this? I don't know. I'm gonna be honest
2: with you. I, I
0: don't know.
2: You know, when, when you look at last year's schedule, I just felt like they they were so good at carrying momentum. You know, they they had a upset win. Uh, I won't say a super surprising, but definitely a surprising win uh, against Washington State to start the year off. They then rattle off uh, a win against North Dakota and, and a close one against Air Force. Um, and then, like I said, they, they they took pretty much the two lumps you thought they were gonna take against Boise State and BYU had a bye week hit the reset button, and they were able to essentially run the table, excuse me, except for the one game against Wyoming. So when you look at it that way, and you look at the schedule that they're going to have this year, I'm just not certain that they're going to be able to do that same exact situation. Not only do they obviously have to see Alabama to start the year off, uh, but, you know, you get Boise at the end of the year instead of the beginning of the year this year. Um, You know, you get BYU somewhere in the middle as well. You're not getting them back-to-back where, you know, you take your lumps and then you kind of move on from it. Um, On top of that, when you look at how they won a lot of their games last year, you know, this team could have easily, easily have lost uh, two games last year uh, right after the bye week. At UNLV, they win twenty-eight, twenty-four. Colorado State, they win twenty-six-twenty-four. Uh, 24 if they lose those games that go into the last seven, you know, the last six games of the year at three and four, that could have been a completely different ball club. Uh, and could have had a completely different, you know, a, a different result uh towards the end of the year rather than them going eleven and three. You're looking at a team that barely makes bowl barely makes a bowl game or or you know, um, uh, you know, at the, at their best finishes eight and four, seven and five, obviously with the loss to Wyoming. And maybe we have a a better expectation of what this team is going to look like this year. And I feel like they're kind of going to fall somewhere around where they maybe should have been last year. You know, I'm not going to say they're going to win 11 games, but I I do think this is a team that can win seven. So I'm not going to bet the over, uh, but I think this is a team that can win seven, maybe eight games this year, really maybe uh, hard on the, maybe for eight wins, I think some of those one-loss games or one-possession games where their defense was able to get a you know a couple of stops are going to change this year with how much turnover they've had on the defensive and the football. Uh, Utah State was one of those teams that once again you know showed that they felt like they needed to bring in guys. Uh, they brought in seven uh, transfers. They finished with a top sixty class transfer rating wise with the fifty-fourth ranked transfer rating class. Uh, you know, they're able to bring in some high-level guys as well. You know, Gervin Hall out of, from, from Miami at, at safety is going to be huge. For them. This is a four-star kid coming out of high school. Yes, he's only a three-star transfer, but a guy coming from Miami to Utah State, P5 to G5, typically hit the ground running. Uh, Xavier Williams, another one from Alabama, I think is going to be amazing. Brian Cobb is going to be a guy who I think is an immediate impact guy for them as well. I, I just feel like offensively, they're going to be good defensively is going to be where my question marks lie and whether or not their defense can travel um as, as they're going to have to play, you know, some of these higher paced offenses on the road. You know, you get BYU on the road this year, you get Boise State on the road this year, um you know, I, and you get Wyoming, a team that you lost to last year, 44-17, also on the road this year. So I think they can win seven games. I think they can hit their win total. I'm just not confident that they're going to be able to do Replicate anywhere near what they were able to do last season for one and to get to that eight to nine win margin, which you need to need for them to do to get to the over.
0: All right, let's go on here uh, to team number 83, which is FAU and on October 30th last season, FAU beat UTEP. 28-25 to improve to five and three, three and one in conference. But the Owls could not break through against Marshall, ODU, WKU, or Middle, Middle Tennessee, and fell short of Ball's ability at five and seven. Uh, five and a half is their DK win total. We have them at seven and five, so well over uh, this five and a half. Nick, the question for FAU, you know, they've consistently fielded one of the most talented rosters in Conference USA and the G5 level. They ranked 69th in roster strength last season, but ranked 89th in team performance. Uh, They project to play 78th overall uh, in 2022. Can this team play to their talent level? And if they can, you know, are they just the number one team in Conference USA if they play to that level? Uh, they certainly could be in the mix. I mean, this is a program that
1: when Lane Kiffin was the head coach uh, a few years ago, won two Conference USA titles in three years, I believe. So, uh, you know, that talent level is certainly uh, there. And, and, you know, what was it a conference uh, title winning level a few years ago? And it really hasn't dropped off, I should say. They do recruit pretty well coming out of high school. Uh, players coming out of high school I mean there was a there was a drop off this past um, cycle they fell into the triple digits but they had been in the you know 60s 70s low 80s uh, so pretty consistent upper half of um, Conference USA and and or you know top half of, of the group of five I should say but they've also brought in quite a few transfers being a Uh, G5 team in Florida. They have kind of a built-in ability to attract transfers, guys who are from South Florida uh, looking for, uh, you know, a fresh start, a new home, uh, maybe move closer to home, somebody transferring from a a power five school. So there's, there's quite a bit of that. They've also had uh, a handful of Florida state transfers over the last couple of years because uh, Willie Taggart is there. So, you know, guys who rank pretty well coming out of high school, um, either as high school recruits or uh, a lot of them kind of that that higher end uh, caliber of, of just, you know, raw talent potential that we see in, in those 247 ratings if they were power five transfers even you know handful of four stars that we've seen including their starting quarterback Nikosi Perry who was back and who uh I think did some you know positive things last year gave them some sp- uh, stability at that position that they had been lacking the last couple of years but as you mentioned just weren't you know wasn't able to do enough to get them over the hump and that offense really wasn't able to to take the next step they ranked right 88th in uh Overall offensive uh, team performance: 68th passing, 80th rushing. And this year, there's a little bit of a concern. I've seen um, some reporting that would indicate that uh, Johnny Ford, former USF uh, transfer who you know had a had a really productive year last year for FAU, um, has one more year of eligibility. But it seems like he's got an academic issue that I'm not sure is completely cleared up. So just something to watch for fall camp. Will he or won't he be able to, to get academically eligible to uh, get there? If they aren't able to go with Johnny Ford, there is some depth, Larry McCannon, Kelvin Dean, both of those guys coming back. Uh, but also they added Marvin Scott III, who one of those you know Florida guys who uh, went away, went to Nebraska, uh, decided to come back closer to home. And might have an opportunity to, to uh, you know, perform at a, a little bit of a higher level there. But so far, it's it's there's been a little bit of a disconnect, as you mentioned, at least uh, under Willie Taggart, converting that talent into production, into team performance, into wins. And so, FAU is not very high on the list of teams that I trust to, you know, perform. Uh, at that level, kind of like USF that we talked about uh, last week, where you know consistently the talent it seems, unless there's been a miscalculation on uh, the the uh, projections coming out of high school, which is possible. The good folks at, at places like Two Four Seven Sports do a really really good job, but it's very very difficult to perfectly project everyone and, and sometimes there's some off the field stuff that uh comes into play and and you know it, it's a difficult job. Um but maybe we're overrating them in part because there was a, a mis evaluation early on. And you know that's certainly understandable. But at a place like FAU and a place like USF, um it's been happening quite a bit and pretty consistently. And so it, it's just gotten to the point where it's difficult, you know, to trust uh this particular uh, team right now. I think there are some things to really like on defense. The defense did take a step back last year. It was a borderline top 30 top 35 unit in both 2019 and 2020. fell back to 70th last year, but uh, guys like Jalen Joyner, Evan Anderson uh, on the defensive line, uh, I think flashed showed some good things. Even Tarellus Hawthorne as a true freshman last year. I think that unit is going to be pretty solid at the the linebacker position. You know, two returning starters and Chris Jones and Atarius Moultrie, Eddie Williams, who wasn't technically a starter. Uh, you know, played enough and was actually the most productive of those three. And then they added a trio of you know what we expect are pretty talented Power Five transfers. Uh, Jamie Petway from Missouri, Marvin Joseph from Tennessee, Jaleel McRae from Florida State. So that on paper looks like a pretty strong unit. And then though they do have a lot of turnover in the secondary, only one full-time starter coming back in Teja Young, they were able to you know play a lot of guys last year. So there are uh, you know Romain Munjen, who we expect to be a, a starter at corner, played 400 snaps, was productive. You know, over the the leaderboard sheet that we release with these to our Patreon supporters, you know, he's in that uh, a couple of times because had five pass breakups, had two interceptions last year. Um, so a guy that that you would expect to be uh, pretty good, but then they went again into the transfer portal, brought out you know Josh Young, a transfer from UCLA, and uh, Michael Antoine, a transfer from Iowa State. So uh, will they? Be able to, um, you know, break this streak of underperformance. I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's it's a situation where, you know, FAU should be in the mix for a conference title. They are favored in five six actually uh, conference games and have a manageable. You know non-conference schedule: Ohio, Southeastern Louisiana. You would expect they'll be uh, heavily favored against the FCS opponent. Will be favored against Ohio, UCF. Tough game, but a winnable game. And an in-state school will give you a chance for, uh, pardon me, some you know bragging rights, some in-state uh, recruiting advantages. And then even Purdue, the Power Five opponent, is not a just mismatch talent wise. Um, so it's it's certainly possible that they could go four and zero in the non-conference, and and you would expect they'll go at least two and two, and then have a chance to beat any conference USA opponent. It's just will they take care of business, beat the teams they're supposed to beat? On paper, yeah, this team looks like it should go way over. This projection is actually our biggest edge as far as our you know projected win total compared to um the odds makers of our conversation this week we see you know 1.21 difference uh in wins in in our projection compared to the odds makers fau has a talent edge in 10 games they're just a team that it's it's you know difficult to trust so uh we see that this team should go over and way over but you know it, it's uh it's a little question as to whether or not they'll actually get there, and, and I'm not super confident.
0: Xavier, your thoughts on FAU. Like we said here, uh, you know, recruiting, they've been fantastic. They right. have not lived up to this recruiting number uh, in a while, though. So what do you, do you think this year maybe they can turn those things around?
2: This is the, This is the same way I feel about USF. They are going in that same category as of right now, which is you bring in a ton of talent. Doesn't mean absolutely anything to your win total. You gotta show me something. Like Nick said, this is a team that since Lane Kiffin has left has underwhelmingly has been very underwhelming as far as their, you know, their, their record is concerned. And once again, they bring in another great transfer class, you know, top 75, 66 transfer rating. You bring in a couple of guys from the uh, from high P5s in South Carolina, Florida State, Tennessee, well, three from Florida State, excuse me. You know, you know, you do a great job of bringing kids from you know rival schools, quote unquote, within your same state. And I still don't know if they're going to actually win, you know, more than what their win total suggests, being at five and a half games. And and that's the problem with with FAU at the current moment is I just don't know. And the fact that I don't know is a little bit more uh, uh, alarming than it should be with a team as talented as they have been over the last couple years and that they are uh, coming into this year. You know, you look at their schedule and really outside of UCF, they shouldn't – and Purdue – they shouldn't really lose a game in their first six, and, and at Purdue it isn't necessarily a game I think they should lose. But I'm just gonna say that because I think Purdue will get that will, will, will win that ball game. So you know, this is a team that should be five and one going into you know uh, um, you know or you know going into their first bye week and should have an opportunity to run the table and possibly win a conference USA championship. But I'm not gonna go that far on the limb because they've been this good in pre- in previous years and have significantly let us down. Uh, so. Just like USF, I'm gonna go in. They're gonna go into my under list uh, just because I don't believe in the talent until they show me differently. uh, With the current coaching regime, when when Kiffin was there, I had all the belief in the world. Since him leaving, they've just been rather underwhelming, and I and I can't put my finger as to why that's been the case. Uh, Maybe it is Willie. It's Willie Taggart. I just don't know uh, at, at this point. But until they change it, I'm gonna consistently bet the under, unless obviously the under is just you know ridiculous. But as of right now they're in that you know that they, they usf all the talent in the world very little production to show for it
0: and well, we kind of have their number as ridiculous you know five and a half
2: i mean five UK, and a half we got them yeah. for
0: seven uh yeah. so
2: but if they only I, win five I, i'm still
0: i'm still good you wouldn't be surprised yeah i see yeah. It. uh all right let's go to number 82 tulsa golden hurricane played nine one possession games winning five of them in a seven and six uh run Tulsa posted back-to-back winning records for the first time since head coach Philip Montgomery uh, started there, uh, his first two seasons in 2516. 16 uh, Six is the, day, uh, the DK number. We have them at six and six, but uh, just slightly over this six number, so we are on the over here. Nick, Tulsa suffered some important losses on the line of scrimmage, including three starting offensive linemen. Two of them were drafted, including first-rounder Tyler Smith uh, and defensive tackle Jackson Player, who transferred to Baylor. How will that impact the Golden Hurricane early in 2022, and can they repeat this nice run they had last season?
1: So I think the, the key word that you said there is early, and jumping ahead a little bit to the schedule, they open against Wyoming on the road. They played Northern Illinois in week two. Jacksonville State, who just hired Rich Rodriguez as their head coach in week three. Ole Miss on the road in week four, at home against Cincinnati, and then at Navy before the bye week. If I'm a team that's got some question marks on the line of scrimmage, uh, especially the defensive line, that is about as bad of a a six-game start as I could hope for. I mean, those are teams. You know, Wyoming, Northern Illinois want to just bloody you up up front. Uh, and so, you know, a, a team that, yes, has a really productive, probably underrated uh, pass rusher and Anthony Goodlow, uh, potentially you know all conference type performer. He might actually be somewhat neutralized, and you know, without a guy like Jackson Player, uh, without. I mean, they, they did bring in Jaden Simon, a plus 300 pounder transfer from Colorado, doesn't have a whole lot of of game experience, but you know, beyond that, this is not a big defensive line, especially in the interior going up as Wyoming and, and Northern Illinois. I've got some concerns in, in weeks one and two, and then though they are a little bit more, uh, I don't know finesse is the right word, but a little more fast paced, Jacksonville State Ole miss want to get to the edge but still run the ball quite a bit you know might might be able to get away a little bit with uh, a lack of size up front but still I don't I don't necessarily love those matchups and then you get back to teams that want to beat you up a little bit like Cincinnati and then navy everybody hates playing navy so the defensive line concerns me a little bit more even then the offensive line and the, and the talent that they lost uh, with those two drafted linemen up front. But I've, you know, I'm concerned a little bit that both uh, units along the line of scrimmage, especially the way that early schedule sets up are inexperienced. I mean, they do bring back two full-time starters on the offensive line, but nobody else comes back with over a hundred uh, snaps played last year. And then nobody else has more than, you know, 200 the last two years. So, uh, Jaden Muskrat got a little bit more playing time in in 2020, but you know, they do have some things to like Davis Brin took, I believe, uh, I mean, made every pass attempt for Tulsa last year. He's back, um, is a dependable, if not spectacular quarterback, Denetrius Pence and Anthony Watkins pretty solid one-two combo, even though they lose Shamari Brooks, who I believe was the all-time leading rusher there. Uh, If not, he's certainly very high on the the, uh, all-time leaderboard. I think they'll actually be able to replace him decently well. At the receiver position, they lose Josh Johnson, who was a a uh, pro-type player, but they get back Keelan Stokes, who was limited to only four games by injury last year. He has the ability to be one of the best receivers in the American and then Juan Carlos Santana has been there forever. Uh Ethan Hall at tight end's been there uh you know quite a while as a returning starter. Uh and then they added you know Isaiah Epps and and have built some depth, recruited decently well at the receiver position. So I, I think they're going to be okay skill positions um on offense, but defensively not only you know is the issue up front, they only bring back one full-time starter at linebacker. He's a good one, but you know Justin Wright's the only one. Grant Sawyer, Dorian Hopkins are the the two most experienced guys behind him. Neither of which has put up you know a whole lot of production yet. John Michael Terry, transfer from Oklahoma, might be in line uh, for one of those starting spots. They do have you know they do have to replace. Their defensive coordinator moved on to TCU. They promoted from within, so you'd expect some consistency there. They will be, you know, sticking in the the three three five, uh, but have to replace all but one full time starter in the secondary, uh, including, um, you know, uh, the the just the the hit to the depth. I should say um, on that back end is is just as concerning to me as it is up front. So. I I think Tulsa, you know, grades out decently well, projects decently well for a team that um, ranks in the triple digits in overall returning production. They do certainly on the offensive side of the ball have some uh, quality pieces you can really build around, but I don't love the way that early season schedule sets up just as far as the style of play that their opponents, uh, you know, will will try to. Um, adhere to, but also the fact that it it is just a bad matchup as far as a team that's trying to rebuild uh, and replace some of its most talented players on both the offensive and defensive line. So, um, you know, they'll be in the mix, I think, for a bowl. I, I think they'll be in the mix to to have another uh, winning season. We're we're technically on the over. I actually kind of wish that we were on the under. Um, I, I, I'm I'm very scared that Wyoming, Northern Illinois, and Jacksonville State are all losable games. And even though they're you know pretty heavily favored against Jacksonville State and Navy, I, I just those teams can can give you uh a lot of trouble. Um so a young team especially along the line of scrimmage, I I've definitely got my concerns with Tulsa.
0: Javier, your thoughts on the hurricane here. Do you think that they uh Can continue this, uh, you know, nice pace of what they had last year, even with losing some of these players on the line? Or uh, do you think, hey, look, last year it it all clicked right um, and they won those close games and you just can't expect that to happen again this year?
2: That's where I'm leaning towards it, For me, it's just a little bit too difficult to suggest that a team's going to be able to replicate what they did last year, especially when so many games in my, or were one possession where you just, you know, the, the ball goes in the right direction and you win a game. Like this is a team from October 9th to November 13th of last year, could have either won or lost every single game. If the ball had a bounce in a different direction, that's just that that's way too much. You know, yes, it, it, it her, helps to be good but also helps to be lucky and, and this is a team that you know started off the year losing to uc davis by two points and then oklahoma state by five points but also then was able to win a couple of win and beat usf by one point beat memphis by six points beat two in overtime by a touchdown i just don't like so many one possession games right like if it's like two or three okay you might be able to convince me otherwise but when almost all of them were like this outside of what four games last year five games excuse me that's just way too rich for my blood uh also this wasn't a team that i won't say they didn't care about the tra- the recruiting trail this year but they kind of didn't they had three recruits sign a letter of intent that's it uh they had six transfers total so they brought in nine players just not so for me I-, I don't know if that's indicative of them loving what they have already and understanding that they're going to progress that going forward They lost. They brought in a couple of transfers on on uh, both sides of the line. One defense, uh, two defensive linemen, um, and then three offensive linemen out of their six uh, transfers. So they're definitely showing that they need some help in the trenches, and are going out and getting that. But I'm just not sure that this is going to be a team that next year is able to get that lucky one and put that, you know, and put that together. Um, You know, especially when some of these games this year are going to be against Jacksonville State, which is a a really solid FCS program at Ole Miss. Cincinnati's another one playing a Navy team. We just talked about Wyoming, uh, you know, having beat a team last year that we expect to be pretty good this year. So I, I just don't see them having that much luck this year this is a team that could very well see being you know a one or two win team by the time they get to their bye week um after the first five games and then obviously you're climbing up a massive hill um at that point um if you're Tulsa for me I would go hmm, six wins being their draft uh being their their win total is a little enticing I'll be honest with you go with the over but I'm gonna go with the under because I just don't believe that you can do that back-to-back years and be successful at, at any level let alone you know at the college level to be perfectly honest
0: uh, all right, let's move on to the last team here uh, for today. It's Central Michigan. Uh, if not for a 39 38 loss to Northern Illinois, Central Michigan would have played in the MAC championship game. The Chips won five straight after losing to the Huskies, including a 24 21 win over Washington State in the Sun Bowl. Their DK number is seven and a half. We have them at seven and five, so we are under that seven and a half. We actually rounded up towards seven. In projected wins and last year nick uh, lou nichols led the nation in rushing with 1848 yards and scored 16 touchdowns on a heavy workload of 341 carries with departures at wide receiver and offensive line including two of the top 77 picks in the nfl draft how far can nichols carry cmu in 2022
1: It there, you know, central Michigan for me has some very similar questions to everything I just said for Tulsa, which is good because we're running up against time. So I can just say we'll just clip that, you know, opening and we'll put it here because central Michigan lost two offensive linemen who got drafted in the top 77 picks. I mean, a second rounder in uh, Luke Gadecki and a, a third rounder in Bernard Ryman those are, those are big losses. Those are, you know, two guys who uh, played a big role in Lou Nichol- Nichols being able to um, lead the nation in rushing. And, and certainly he's a talented uh, player. He'll have every opportunity to you know, carry the football 300 times again, you would expect, especially after Kobe Lewis transferred out. Um, but, you know, those are two really talented players There'll be big losses. And though the the other three starters are back, including, uh, you know, Jamez Kilbro, Kimbro, who's a a 30 game starter, Um, Deontay Powell Woods uh, has a lot of experience, Titan Ferris. They also went in the transfer portal, got a couple of guys that could uh, potentially, you know, be slotted in and and play a significant role. Um, Both are uh, transferring up from lower levels. Jeremy Sadler from Northern Colorado at the FCS level and Cole Johnson from division two Hillsdale. Uh, but to go, you know, combine 40 career starts between the two of them. So it's, it's kind of a creative solution might work out. Maybe they're able to patch those two uh, starting spots, but I, I think that chances are pretty low that you're actually going to be able to uh, produce an offensive line as good when you lose two. Uh, you know, top 70, uh, top 80 draft picks, um, especially when you're, you're talking about a Mac offensive line. So it's a little bit of a concern, a little bit of a concern on wear and tear on Lou Nichols. Um, the fact that Daniel Richardson returns, uh, starting quarterback is certainly a good sign. The fact that he doesn't have Khalil Pimpleton or uh, Ja'Cory Sullivan to throw to little bit of a little bit of a concern. They did go into the transfer portal, got uh, Carlos Carey, Jalen McGowdy from Maryland and ball state, respectively. think those guys probably project to starters. I've liked a lot of the things that I have uh, seen out of Joel Wilson has the ability maybe to be an all conference tight end, but depth isn't quite what it was. And the offensive line, you know, certainly have some questions uh, defensive line, similar. And though, uh, they didn't lose a draft pick. Troy Hairston, uh, defensive end, you know, might have been drafted if he were a little bit bigger, listed at 5'11", 235. And somebody who was just incredibly, incredibly productive, 40 production points in his career, according to our calculations. Um, so just a guy who's played a ton of football and just you know racked up, uh, filled that stat sheet basically. And so losing him is big. He's out of eligibility, but beyond that, they lose five starters on defense, including two defensive linemen Amir Sadiq and Tico Brown to the transfer portal. They lose a pair of linebackers, Troy Brown, who transferred to Ole Miss, another incredibly, incredibly productive player. Uh, they lose Devani Reed starting safety uh, to South Carolina. So there are players who, you know, Central Michigan would have been counting on were part of that really strong finish last year. Who decided to Purdue or to uh, to uh, pursue, I should say, one to Purdue, Kobe Lewis, uh, but pursue uh, you know opportunities to to take another step up, play at the Power Five level, and it certainly has hurt depth there. Again, similar to Tulsa, are some key pieces you know sticking behind Dante Kent, starting corner. Uh, had a really really nice year last year. Might be able to take that next step. Um, you know, maybe a guy like Thomas coom who uh, flashed at times last year, uh, might be able to to be in a position to uh, become a, an All Conference type performer. Laquan Johnson, being fully healthy, be nice to have him back. He had, uh, you know, prior to to 2020, really really solid. Roby Stewart's also missed a lot of time. Missed last season. Um, so maybe those guys come back healthy. That defensive line drop-off won't be huge, but that was a unit that ranked 16th last year in defensive line performance. So, um, you know, a lot of turnover on offense, on the offensive line, including some concern with depth at the receiver position and behind uh, Lou Nichols at running back. And then a lot of turnover on the defensive line. You're relying on some guys that, uh, you know, have been injured, haven't played very much the last year or two they're completely you know uh they're not starting over at linebacker but uh only two guys with any major you know uh, playing time significant playing time um are back so there's there's some questions here and i do think that central michigan you know with Nichols, with richardson uh maybe even dallas dixon you know coming back at, at receiver he had a big year last year he'll be a solid number one but It's going to take more than uh, just Nichols and and just, um, you know, a couple of all conference players here or there for me to think that Central Michigan is going to actually be able to make a run at the MAC title. Uh, They do play two very tough non conference opponents in Oklahoma State, Penn State, you know, very talented, uh, powerful. What's the word? Tough uh, power five teams. South Alabama, we've talked about as being a a potential bowl team. So that non conference slate is not easy. If they get through it relatively healthy, they'll be able to, you know, compete week in and week out in the MAC. And we actually even have them favored in seven of eight MAC games. Uh, But a lot of those are toss ups, and the margin for error is pretty pretty slim. So we have, you know, Central Michigan projected for just under seven wins I, I think i'd rather be on the under than the over even though yeah they could be the mac champ but they also you know one injury uh here or there uh this team could
0: end up sitting at home during bowl season Javier, your thoughts on uh central michigan here i mean obviously led by lou nichols but do they have enough <laughs> outside of him to make this same push again
2: I'm not sure. And, and this is and it's odd for me because at the end of the day, like once again, this is a team that went on a run. And the question is, is are they going to be able to sustain that over another year? Or are they going to once again have to, to go on a run to get themselves, you know, either into the MAC championship or one step away like they were last year? And I'm not just I'm not, you know, 100 percent sure that's going to be, you know, a, a, an opportunity for them this year. Their non-conference schedule for me is increasingly difficult. Uh, having to go to Oklahoma State, play a South Alabama team—I just think is going to be better. And at Penn State, yes, you get Bucknell, but you get those first three. Uh, and being one in three, once again, you're having to go on some type of run in a very volatile conference to get you back into that position. Um, now, I'm not saying it's not impossible, but I would be comfortable going with the under here. You know, seven and a half. Going with the under is still seven wins. Also, when you look at it, the other piece to that is at the end of the day, in the in the MAC. Seven to eight wins might even get you into the Mac Championship with how up how volatile that conference has been. You know, last year, eight wins or excuse me, nine wins would have got them in if they beat uh, NI uh, NIU. So this is a team that I think I'm comfortable with sitting at seven wins as of right now. Uh if I wouldn't be surprised if they made a run, but to have to roll off five in a row like that again. For me, is just a little bit too rich for my blood. I'm gonna say the under. Now, once again, the under could easily be seven games uh, for them, and I and I expect them to win that much. But to say that they're gonna go, you know, nine and three ne- next year and make the MAC championship because you expect that they do go nine and three, they are gonna be probably representing the MAC uh, their side of the MAC in the conference championship game. That you know, that's gonna happen again. I'm not going to go out on that much of a limb, especially with a team that once again didn't hit the recruiting trail all that hard, especially in the transfer portal. Uh, only bringing in one transfer, I think they probably brought in the fewest amount of transfers that we've talked about on the uh, during this season. Uh, excuse me, during uh, these uh, podcasts. So I'm going to say no on them. You know, uh, getting better on what they did last year. I'm going to stick at the under, which could very well just be seven wins in a bowl game for Central Michigan.
0: All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Remember you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman sports for myself at CFB winning edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for Xavier. We will be be back next week with uh, more team previews. So please make sure you stick around for those and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy. Everybody.
1: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.